fondle me and move on. Look at all my homosexual pals. You're welcome to, people. Ho-ho! I got the better of that exchange. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's your mother's sister, so it can jolly well be on your side. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. You are horrid when you want to be. I know, but you love me, don't you? Not as much as Lady Mary. Well, that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. I'm not quite as spectacular a bitch as she is. Yes. You do have the advantage of actually existing. That's true. So I'll give you that one. Thank you. (laughs) I I do try to exist when possible. (laughs) So... Yeah. Here we are. That's right. This is the end of the line, people. <laughs> this is what this whole season has been building to. Aren't you disappointed? This recap <laughs> of the show. Not yeah. the show itself. Oh, no. That's right. I see what you're saying. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's us. Oh, yeah. Like, literally everybody who's been watching Downton Abbey right. is like, ugh, well, whatever. What did Kelly and Tom have to say about it? That's right. All 23.2 million mm-hmm. viewers. Which doesn't explain our low downloads, but well, I just assume that people are downloading it and then like copying it and passing it around like sure, a or, zine or, or a mixtape. Or gathering in big listening parties. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be sensible. Yeah. Are you gathering in big listening parties? <laughs> if so, we'd like to hear your story. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, you can contact us on Twitter. We're at five, the number five, Maggie Smiths. You can find us on Facebook by searching Up Yours Downstairs, and you can reach us by email, aka Telegram, by sending a letter to upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. Uh, we are not doing telegrams from our cousins today due to the supersized nature of the finale yet mm-hmm. again. However, we're going to take a two-week break and then be back with a telegrams from our cousins roundup, as well as sort of a general uh, state of the Abbey state report. of the Abbey report. You know, we're basically just going to be talking about first of all, summing up the season just passed, what went right, what went wrong, mm-hmm. how should it have been plotted, which I have various ideas of how different things should have gone. And given that they didn't go the way that we thought they should have, uh, what Baron Fellows can do to improve it in the future. That's right. And then, you know, so just our, our expectations, our hopes, our fears for what may be yet to come mm-hmm. in Downton Abbey. So it should be a good time. So yeah. that'll be in, in two weeks. We'll That's have right. that for you. And we're, we're certainly looking for all of our cousins input on that. Yes. So if you have any questions, concerns, uh, also as we go into hiatus, we'll probably be doing another fashion backwards. Tom repeats history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have questions, things that we were like, Oh, hey, we should talk about that. And you really wanted to hear about it. Let us know. Cause chances are we forgot. <laughs> Chances are extremely probable. Yeah, there's definitely a good shot. Uh, yeah, and we will be announcing that hiatus schedule again sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. We need to f- go back through everybody's suggestions and see what we want to do and figure out a time frame. But we'll definitely let everybody know on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. We keep getting new Tumblr followers. So if you're following us on Tumblr, so sorry that we're not doing anything. <laughs> I forgot that I'm we had a Tumblr. I'm actually not even sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's just so much other stuff on Tumblr for Downton. Mm, like, yeah, all yeah. we would do is just, you know, re-blog that stuff. Yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. already, you know, there's enough of that going on. Yeah. They don't need our our voice added to the cacophony. <laughs> it serves as a nice place to post our hiatus schedule, and that's about it. All right. Well, fair enough. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's where we're at. So we're looking forward to uh, a nice little break and uh, then coming back with that. Yeah. But before we can do that... Right. Let us hunker down 
for the task at hand. Let's take a trip to the Highlands. Oh my God. Ah, <laughs> <gasps> uh, yes, we open one year later. My, 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 how time does fly when you're Julian Fellows. <laughs> That's right. And as usual with the Christmas specials, we do not have the normal opening shot of the top half of a dog. We instead have the bottom half of a ginger. <laughs> Uh, it is Alfred. He is loading some luggage onto a wagon out in front of Downton. Upstairs, Anna and O'Brien are walking past each other, loaded down with luggage. And O'Brien asks Anna what she's bringing for hair in the evening. Anna tells her, diamond stars and one tiara. Mm-hmm. Uh, P.S. New maid alert. She looks weird. She does look I weird. I don't like the look of her. I... And she's not... You know what? I would much rather have a replacement ginger. Yeah. This is what... This is... This, you know, this is... We'll be complaining about this new maid uh, for the next couple of hours. Yes. So... You know, strap in. Yeah. Get ready. But, uh, yeah, definitely, you, you you go outside your ginger territory and look what happens. Mm-hmm. She's blonde. Right. The only blonde maid is Anna. She's the only one who's allowed to be blonde. <laughs> That's right. But she does this weird double take at Branson, who passes her in the hallway, and just, like, stares at his ass. Yeah. For, like, an uncomfortably long period of time. Like, who are you? I'm like, are you his ex-girlfriend? Like, what is this? <laughs> it's it's odd. I mean, and yeah, just get ready for a lot of inexplicable, creepy looks. Yeah, from uh, new maid. Yeah, and this this whole opening sequence here that we're in the middle of, it's just it's so dramatically shot. Well, and he's bring he's brought back the tracking shot. Right. There haven't been quite so many tracking shots this season, but yeah. he's apparently realized that he was like oh we've had this dolly all along <laughs> right well i just enjoy it too because it's all this dramatically staged shots of servants making practical decisions for this vacation uh-huh. like it's just you know i, I like that's the, how the i feel whenever i go on vacation <laughs> yeah i like to sweep my bathing suit into the suitcase and i like to really emphatically zip my ziploc bag for the plane with my toiletries <laughs> You've been there. You've seen I, it. No, it's true. I always put on like Rachmaninoff. It's really exciting. <laughs> Madge and or Alice is buttering a bunch of bread. Yeah, we a... don't know who is who. Right. Still. We we do hope someday to learn. We would really like to. We would. But in any case, Mrs. Patmore tells her to pack the lunches in brown papers so the family won't have to deal with a basket after they get off the train. Bates tells Jimmy Kent that the suitcases are all done and Ivy says that it's quite a palaver, and asks if the family always goes to Dunneagle. Bates helpfully exposits that they do, except last year Lady Sybil was dead, and then before that it was the war, and so that's why we've never seen this annual tradition before. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but otherwise, it's the high spot of his lordship's calendar. But Bates's lingering facial expression at the end of this scene indicates that he does not agree. Right. He He seems really bummed out to be going to Scotland. Yeah, he seems to be like, it's the high point of his lordship's calendar and the... The nadir of uh, mine. And the nadir of everyone else's, really. It doesn't seem... Few people seem to be anticipating this trip. It doesn't seem like they get to do anything really very fun. Yeah. Just like most family vacations. That's right. Dad's out there having a great time hunting. Everybody's just sitting around at the tent whining. (laughs) Oh, uh, we had such similar childhoods. <laughs> we did. Uh, Thomas is overseeing the hall boys packing up the cane butt rods that <laughs> Lord O.C. liked so darn much. Yes. Uh, very funny that Thomas is overseeing the cane butt rods. Hey! Good night, everybody! <laughs> Molesley. <sighs> Fucking Molesley. He's trailing Carson and saying he doesn't understand why they aren't packing shotguns. 
But Carson's trying to explain to him that they're going stalking, not hunting, and that they don't need to bring shotguns. And Molson's like, maybe we just bring them in case. And Carson's just like, bitch, please. I've yeah. been doing this for so long. Speaking of speaking of hopes for next series, I do hope that uh, next year we do get a scene at some point in which Carson finally just gives up and punches Molson mm-hmm. right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Here's just hoping. Stop being so dumb. We should start taking odds on these things in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, but then we'd have to go to Vegas. <sighs> yeah. It's the Dun Eagle of America. Yeah. Then we see Branson holding a Sibby. Sibby! Oh my god. This baby, you guys. Give that baby the Emmy. Yeah. That baby, like, I love Maggie Smith. Oh, sure. That baby is, look, it's a baby. Yeah. It's comparing babies and Maggie Smith. (laughs) Right. There's just, my head's gonna explode here. Yeah. No, and Branson's holding her and she's super cute and like pointing at things. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Oh. I really want a baby now if I can just bypass all the horrors between now and having the baby. <laughs> well, yeah. So get on that, why don't you? Uh, scientists, make this happen. Science. <laughs> what do we pay you for? <laughs> I don't pay them at all. Yeah, me neither. Uh, thanks for the penicillin. Anyway. <laughs> but Branson looks very healthy in that scene. Yeah. Oh, he that's looks, true. Oh, he's, he looks, he's, he's, he's looking sharp. He's looking, well, I guess who's the uh, upcoming male lead on Downton Abbey? Ah, <laughs> his ships really come in, eh? Yeah. I just I get so bummed out though because it just makes me want to watch him on Rome. I know I say that like <laughs> yes, every yes. episode, but like that's when he was at his real cutest. Well, you know he's doing. So, ladies, <laughs> if you're going through some Branson withdrawal or you need some help transferring your affections from you know who right over to Branson, uh, check out Rome. Yeah, just look up the episodes Alan Leach is in. You can kind of skip yeah. all the incesty ones. Before are, that. Are there non-incesty episodes of Rome? Slightly less incesty <laughs> episodes of Rome. <sighs> Which, uh, again, not that far off from Downton Abbey. That's a very fair point. So. Yeah, so you people like incest, right? Rome it up! <laughs> Alfred and Jimmy Kent are in front, uh, hoisting a trunk. Not a euphemism. <laughs> and Thomas jumps in to help. Also not a euphemism. Yeah. They they successfully put the trunk up on the uh, wagon because they're still using a wagon to carry the luggage, apparently. It's uh, better for the environment. I guess so. Uh, but things are still super awkward between Jimmy Kent and Thomas. And Alfred remains strangely unaffected, considering he's the one who caused the big stink. Right. Well, or you could say that Thomas and Jimmy Kent are strangely affected, given that it's been a year. That's true. So... They haven't spoken once. <laughs> That's right. Uh, birds chirp awkwardly as Jimmy Kent and Thomas walk inside. And the credits are finally over. Hooray. It took us so long <laughs> to get through that much. I can't even tell you people. Yeah. It was it was fun. This is, yeah. This one was tough. It was yeah. much more plot dense than we thought. Yeah. We thought there were much more like sweeping shots of vistas. Right. And that that would somehow cut down on the time we spent recapping it. Yeah. There weren't that many as it turned out. We They were just, you know, annoying. But... <laughs> Up in Matthew and Mary's room, or her dressing room, or somewhere upstairs, um, Matthew is offering to go to Dun Eagle alone, as Mary is pregnant. She's uh, super pregnant. Yes, very much so. I forgot how this was supposed to be a reveal, because we've watched the episode twice now. Oh, right. I'm like, yep, Mary's pregnant, moving on. <laughs> Everybody a- knows that. <laughs> um, but Mary reminds him that it's not 1850, and no one expects her to hide indoors until the baby is born. She looks so pretty in her maternity clothes. Yeah, she... She definitely got a better seamstress than Sybil did. May she rest in peace. Right. Very true. She's, she's rocking the maternity look. 
Matthew says all right, but he says if she changes her mind at any time, just to let him know. And Mary, like Mary's like, duh. If Mary does what Mary wants. Yeah. Have, she you, had, have you not been watching the show? Uh, yeah. She had not at any point considered not changing her mind if she felt like. Oh, right. Edith's on the phone in the hallway, and she's saying, "Oh, the family would love to see you, but it seems an awfully long way to go for a walk." Gee. I wonder who she's talking to. This uh, little flushed. We're not little... kept in suspense very long. No, that's true. Uh, she comes into the breakfast room and says that her editor, Michael Gregson, realized that he'll be in Scotland at the same time as the Crawleys. <laughs> Mary snidely calls the fact that he'll be near Donegal a coincidence and, you know, does her eyebrow thing. And McGee tells Edith, we'd love to meet him, wouldn't we, Robert? <laughs> and uh, Matthew quickly changes the subject <laughs> right. by asking why the Flinchers are based in Scotland when their title is Welsh. Now that's riveting television right there, people. <laughs> it clearly is because of the rift, <laughs> the rift over Cardiff. Oh, yeah. Owen! <laughs> ah! I never liked Gwen. Oh, Tosh. Yeah. Man, that show's so good. We're talking about Torchwood for you guys that haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. That show's awesome. It is awesome. It is much better than the Matt Smith slash Stephen Moffat era Doctor Who. And I will cut you. I will cut you. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> well, it turns out that Shrimpy's grandmother was the Countess of Newton Moore in her own right, which is now their courtesy title. Yes. Which means something. Well, what it means is that, uh, you know, basically anybody only ever has like one real title and any other titles that their family happens to have come into through the various intermarriages gross right is just their courtesy title so because he is a marcus in the flinch of of flincher or marquis i think i think it's marquis yeah like Marquis marquis of queensbury right so and because a marquis outranks a count marquis becomes their official title and the count the earldom of, of uh, Newton Moore becomes their courtesy title. Okay. So they still have it. And it's one of these things where they've got that. And if they at some point have like a younger son that wants to have his own title, they can push that back out onto the younger son. And then he can be his, a courtesy be the Count of and Newton Moore. And he doesn't have to be in the parsonage. Right. Yes. Or the army. <laughs> of course – this whole system is about to collapse. So well, it's sort of a moot I'm point. I'm really glad that we got this lesson then. Uh, what I can tell you about Newton Moore, the village in Scotland, is that their Shinty team has won the Shinty Championship three years in a row. Oh, so, well, good for them. Yeah. Dare I say, bully for them. <laughs> anyway, Matthew asks why Shrimpy is called Shrimpy. It's the moment we've all been waiting for. <laughs> And it's extraordinarily disappointing. It is. Uh, turns out it was a nursery game that he used to play with his sisters, Louisa and Agatha, who we have yet to meet. Right. I was I really thought, disappointed. We thought we were going to get to meet Agatha yeah, here. And at it, least. Yeah. Didn't happen. At any rate, uh, Louisa was a lobster. Agatha was a shark, of course, apparently. Not yeah. that anybody cares to demonstrate why. I know. And uh, Lord Grantham, despite being certain that Louisa was a sh- that Louisa was a lobster and that Agatha was a shark, he only supposes that Shrimpy was a shrimp. Right. I think you know what? I think you can lock that one in, uh-huh. Lord Grantham. I think go ahead, go out on a limb. Just say say it. What if he was a prawn? <laughs> then he'd be prawny. <laughs> Which would only 
be slightly less ridiculous. It's true. I think I think we're not meeting Aunt Agatha because Baron Fellows is still holding out hope that he's going to get Helen Mirren to come in or you know somebody like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think he blew his wad on Shirley MacLaine. I I think you're right. I think but, that's the end of it. Uh, but that that may have just made him more cocky. Uh, that's true. It's like I rule Britain. <laughs> I can cast all he's the women. Calling her every day, <laughs> Helen. Remember when we did that smashing picture, Gosford Park, and she's like, who is this? <laughs> but but Robert Alton's been dead for years. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm his ghost. <laughs> <laughs> he wants you to do down that. At any rate, Branson asks if Shrimpy is a small person. Uh, everyone laughs hardly. For <laughs> right. This nickname just got even stupider. <laughs> Shrimpy is not small, but he was the youngest, and that is why they called him Shrimpy. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter that he was the youngest, though, because I guess he's, you know, the frickin', you know, Marcus of Flincher now. Well, he had three older sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. Two. Two older sisters. Oh, yeah. Try yeah. to keep up here. Wait, oh. no, I guess... No, no, no. Louisa yeah. and Agatha, yeah. Well, then how come Granny didn't have a name? How come Granny is not like a lamprey or something? Wait. Wait. Or no, wait. No, uh, Grant, no. Yeah. It's Susan's mother is the Dowager Countess's sister. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. God. I really need a family tree a la Game of Thrones here, Julian Fellows. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for not providing it. <laughs> Mitchie apologizes to Branson that he won't be joining them, but he says, you know, he doesn't really know these people. Uh, right. Why would he be invited? And then Matthew's like, oh, well, they don't know me either. Uh, conveniently forgetting that he was never a chauffeur. Oh, right. And that he is now married to the heiress. In- yeah. <sighs> Matthew's just so dumb sometimes. He is. Not for much longer. <laughs> Shh. Some people might not have watched the episode yet. Oh, really? No. I don't- Everybody's I like- already watched it. <laughs> I was like, that'd be weird. <laughs> So he's like, well, I don't enjoy television, but I do like radio. <laughs> Lord Grantham asks Mary if she's sure should be, that she should be going to Dunneagle, uh, being as she is hugely pregnant. Oh, and she only just lost her sister, like, you know, a little over a year ago. Yeah. In childbirth. True. Uh, in a rural area. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't like traveling even when I'm not pregnant, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> Um, well, your ankles is, get so swollen when you are. I was going to say, which is most of the time. Did I just get transported into alien nation? <laughs> yeah. So also, so the math there works out that it was a good four months after that minor operation that fixed everything. Before which I really want to know what that is. I know. If that, any of our cousins out there have any sort of gynecological expertise, mm-hmm. I think this is a made-up operation. I I kind of feel like... Like I mean, maybe unless like, she had, like, a blockage in one of her fallopian tubes or something. But, like, I feel like an ovarian cyst, maybe, could That's lead to possible. that. And then, so, yeah, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So, Mary tells Lord Grantham, uh, very sensitively, to not be a spoil sport. Because, uh, being concerned for your life and your well-being, <laughs> that's a real bummer. Yeah. Uh, but both... He and Carson are very harumphy about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, they don't have time for that. Lord Grantham stands up and says they need to haul ass to the train station because he told the Dowager Countess they'd be there at whatever time and they're not there yet. Right. So like, then it's just, uh, it's a montage like the one in Home Alone when they're in the airport. <laughs> they're like all running around. It's great. And they leave Branson behind. Yeah. And they get on the plane and she's like, I can't help the feeling I forgot <laughs> something. And Lord Grantham's like, uh, 
was it was it the luncheon and she's like no and then she goes oh, Branson <laughs> meanwhile Branson's back there a whole country estate all for me <laughs> two bumbling criminals attempt to break in maybe that's the deal with this maid oh she's one of the wet bandits <laughs> she's just their case in the joint that's right it's pretty brilliant mm-hmm uh, so at the train platform, Bates, Anna, Mosley, and O'Brien are walking through the traditional steam that we see in English train platform scenes. Healthy! Yeah, uh, sure. I do actually wonder, is there, like, is there a specialist firm out there in England that just provides steam for railway shots? Probably. They probably made a buttload of money on those Harry Potter movies. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. Boom times for steam producers. <laughs> <laughs> Producing steam. <laughs> Ever since the steam age, we never stopped. I don't know why they have that accent in Britain. Seems silly. It is pretty silly. Anna is saying that it feels like a holiday, and O'Brien says it won't feel that way once they arrive. Mosley runs off to fetch a briefcase for some reason because he's just always, you know, he's just mosling it up. He's just a brick short of a load. <laughs> yeah. Bates says he ought to check the dining cars for luncheon, which. Didn't they pack their own lunch? Yeah, or like, wh- what are you, what are you checking that they have them? That there's no bombs? Excuse me, sir. I'm going to have to send this train back and request Maybe another. Maybe he's worried about a Bacano situation and that the rail tracer might be in there. <laughs> Could be, and that immortal eight year old. Uh huh. Oh man. Yeah, Chesla. Oh, I know. <laughs> You're welcome, two people. You're welcome. If that. Point five people. <laughs> that person is already really stoned. <laughs> Anna asks Bates if he likes Scotland, uh, because she's apparently never been. She is not a proper ladies' maid in the past, so she did not get invited. Uh, and who dressed? I have a lot of problems with. I have less problem with them explaining why we've never seen them go to Dunneagle before. Right, right, right. And way more of a problem with like, but you were acting ladies' maid for three. She people. was. Although to be fair, Edith doesn't have a maid on this trip still either. She's I wonder presumably- if that's why she looks so boho. <laughs> it could be. And she's looking good. She Whoever's looks dressing great. her is doing fine. Keep it up. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, have you not even as a child, you didn't go to Scotland? Because apparently it's the Disneyland of the UK. <laughs> is this true? I, I don't know. Mummy, I want to see a treeless field. <laughs> Mummy, I want to see the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Mummy, I want to see some haggis. <laughs> Shut up. Mommy, I want one of those haggis hats. <laughs> Told you those are just for tourists. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently Bates, uh, Bates's mother's mother was Scottish. A Keith she was. Again, fascinating. Please tell me more. Could no, we really get into your relatives' maiden's names? Why would she care if she's never been <laughs> to Scotland? Right. Uh, but in any case, they're all going to Scotland. Maybe the it, maybe the Keiths were a big deal. We should have like looked that up or something. But it, if they were a big deal, then Bates would not be Bates. He would be, you know, Laird Keith or Keith Bates. <laughs> they do that sometimes in Britain. Keith McKeith. <laughs> 
Lord Grantham hands off care of his beloved Isis to Branson, <laughs> telling him to make sure she takes long walks as she can be lazy. Of course she can. <laughs> She's literally queen of the county now. Yeah. Like, she is acting. <laughs> like, everybody's like, oh, Branson's kind of in charge, and Carson's kind of, Nope, Isis. Yeah. Isis is in charge. Look, if Isis ate people food, she would be leading the way into dinner every she night. She most certainly <laughs> would in her tiara. <laughs> Oh, now I want to see Isis all dressed up in a ball gown. <gasps> I I don't think that's going to happen. Branson assures Lord Grantham he'll take very good care of Isis, uh, saying, don't worry, she'll be a proper Bolshevik by the time you get home. <laughs> Lord Grantham gets home and Isis attacks him. <laughs> das wird done, ya comrade Grantham. <laughs> Isis is voiced by Kate Blanchett. Uh... <laughs> By way of her character in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, good good to know. Yep. That's, it's on IMDb. You can an, check it out. It's another good get for Julian Fellows, then. I know. All right. Uh, the Dowager Countess, uh, dramatically entering, because it's the Dowager Countess. Duh. Uh, but she's just walking. Um, but her and Edith walk up to Isabel and McGee, and Isabel asks some dumb question. Um Dowager Countess asks if it's wise to leave Branson at the Abbey unsupervised because he is mostly housebroken, but she doesn't want the freedom to go to his head because, oh, he's like an animal. Uh, also, he did burn down a castle once. Like, I do that's, think she's overreacting because, no, I mean, no, that's, you know, that's a fair he point. does have this baby now to think of. Yeah. But also, he did burn down a castle. No, that's that's valid. Uh, Edith just stands behind the Dowager Countess reacting the whole scene, which I sort of enjoyed it. It was almost like an acting exercise there. I feel very... like that's how Laura Carmichael must feel about this entire series. <laughs> yeah. She's like, this is exactly the kind of shit Stanislavski would pull. <laughs> Isabel promises that she will look after Branson and will invite him over to dinner for the next night. The train departs, standard train departure scene. Isabel follows along watching Matthew leave. Because uh, she's a weirdo. She's well, no. There's there's this great shot because Branson's just like standing there with Isis, like clearly waiting for her. Right. She's like at the very end of the train platform, like gazing off with her bucky little smile. Like, <laughs> yeah. You can't even see her face. Right. But I just envisioned her just. Doing, oh, I like trains. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's. <laughs> It's your grown son that doesn't live with you. Like. And doesn't even like you, <laughs> as far as we can tell. Yeah. Down in the servants' hall, Alfred asks Carson if they'll have a bit of a break while the family's away. Carson just says, what? <laughs> and he says that, yeah, has have somebody stopped? Have, has- have we stopped paying your wages? Yeah. And Jimmy Kent clarifies that Alfred just meant that they want a little time off, you know, for an outing or something. <laughs> and Carson is typically awesome and says that they'll clean all the ceremonial wear and the silver while everybody's gone. And the maids all giggle at their misfortune uh, until Mrs. Hughes tells them that they're not out of it either. They'll give every room in the house a thorough cleaning. And that house has 500 rooms. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually worse for the maids, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the maids look surprised that yeah. this is happening. Although I guess none of them were around, you know, the last time that they all left. I mean, it's impossible to tell how long any of the mystery maids have been it's there. It's true. But Mrs. Hughes then whispers to Carson and wonders if they can't give them some time off, being the good cop that she is. Yeah. And Carson says he'll think about it if they get their extra work done. Yeah. But we all know that Carson... Uh, although he has a brittle exterior, is filled with creamy nougat deep down. <laughs> it's true. Well, I just like that scene because, you know, Carson and Hughes are, they're pretty much always on the same page. Mm-hmm. We just rarely see that side of their relationship because it's, it's not interesting. It's but, really yeah, fun. Yeah, it is nice to see them 
like working together. Yeah. At their. It's like when you and I go to a party we don't want to be at. <laughs> yeah. We're plotting our exit. <laughs> Note: We never want to go to any parties. <laughs> right. Because we can't sit in our house watching TV in our underwear. It's true. And if Where's- we could, that is not a party that we'd want to go to. <laughs> right. Either. That'd be weird. That would be weird. It's like when you go to somebody's house and are like, take your shoes off at the door and your pants. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want any of the dye from your jeans getting on our new white leather couch. <laughs> Thank you and good night. We see a surprisingly bad photo of Sybil. I mean, even by the standards of this season where she looked surprisingly bad the entire time. Yeah, but I guess the town probably only has that one photographer. <laughs> so it's just whatever he can do, you're stuck with. But that weird cat-faced maid <laughs> is in that room and picks it up and looks at it. She's trying out for, for, for a production of Cat. I guess she so. She just wanted to go in there so she could practice singing, Macavities, the mystery cat, he's called the hidden paw. But we don't see that part. No. That's a deleted scene. I would find that even more annoying. Than <laughs> I already the find her. The works of Andrew Lloyd Webber can make anything more annoying. <laughs> it's true. Jacob! Jacob and Sons! See how annoyed you are right now? Quite annoyed. (laughs) Mrs. Hughes catches her, uh, you know, fondling the possessions of the family. And uh, we learned that this weird woman's name is Edna, which is awful. Mm -hmm. Horrible name. Edna asks why Branson hasn't been asked to go along with the others and none of her business. And then she goes on to ask what Lady Flincher made of Sybil marrying a chauffeur. Look at the shit do you carry, friends? Yeah. Lady Flincher, who you've never met and never will meet, had... And who would probably kick you if she could. She would. She wouldn't hesitate. No. So, yeah. It's just bizarre. And... Mrs. Hughes agrees with us, oh, by the way. Oh, clearly. Yeah. Uh, she moves, turns the photo back towards the bed, and Edna asks what Sybil was like, and Mrs. Hughes has, uh, is, is suckered by that into actually talking to Edna. Uh, says that she was a kind, sweet person and a real beauty. Just trying to clarify that the photo was not an accurate <laughs> representation. Um, Don't be fooled. Yeah. The camera adds 10 pounds and just a weird haircut. Right. Uh, Edna says that she thinks that Sybil could have done better. Oh my god. Like, I just don't get this Edna character at all. Nothing about her makes any sense. Like, I feel like the executive producer of this show, which I guess is Julian Fellows, but you know, whoever it is that he has to answer to at ITV was like 487 drafts and this was the best (laughs) one. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh... Maybe maybe she is part of a Torchwood crossover, Ooh. and she's an alien, right? And mm-hmm. she's scouting out Earth. Okay. She's still casing the joint, but the joint is Earth, and that would explain why she's so bizarrely nosy and self-confident. And why she looks like that. Yeah, exactly. Because her eyes don't seem to focus on anything. <laughs> or if they do, it's like too intently. Well, those aliens are like 487 drafts, and this was the most humanoid we could get. <laughs> We hate you, Edna. <laughs> right. Oh, um, what a horrible name. The name Edna. It's, Come on. It's a bad name. I mean, granted, again, Julian Fellows has a character named Rosamond and then another character named Rose. He has a character named Edith and another one named Ethel. So, of course, he wants an Edna in there just to confuse us further. He does. Does he not understand how difficult it is for me to type out these recaps <laughs> by hand? 
I'm not sure why he doesn't take that into consideration. I don't know. Yeah. He really ought to be more considerate <laughs> of this podcast. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Edna goes on to admire Branson's appearance, and Mrs. Hughes leaves because what else can she do with this? Well, point? she says like, "Oh, you know, he's he's very handsome. I'll give him that." Mrs. Hughes is like, uh, "You don't need to give him anything." Yeah. But Edna clearly seems to think she's going to give him something because well, in yeah, this scene, this- like in every scene, every scene ends, and she's got this smirk, like she's accomplished something. Yeah, she's and like, like, "Oh, I got the better of that exchange." <laughs> Are you drunk? <laughs> what are you doing? I know. So we go down to Crawley House, which, you know what? In the absence of murder prison, yeah. what has escaped our notice is that anything that happens at Crawley House <laughs> is a poorly lit plot poison. Yeah. It's just no good. Yeah. So Isabel's there hanging out with Dr. Clarkson because they're best friends. Yeah, as it uh, turns out. Apparently. Who knew? And he's complaining about Mary being so far away at this late point in her pregnancy. But she reminds him that there are hospitals in Inverness. And then he's like, oh, but I understand why you would feel bad. Because, like, Sybil <laughs> died that time. Right. Like, that's the thing. Like, everybody is just, like, in this weird place where they're like, oh, well, Mary's going to be... Well, except for... Remember when Sybil wasn't fine? <laughs> yeah. Maybe well, we should... Let's... You know what? Let's not worry. Let's go be Scottish for 10 days. Like, ugh. Yeah. Well, you know, that's... A weird situation for them to be navigating. It is a weird situation. So, but you know, I would err on the side of caution. You yeah. Know? Oh, I yeah. Mean, uh, yeah. Well, you know, either caution or let's maybe not bring it up every five minutes. Well, that's not the Downton Abbey way. You know that. That's true. Uh, he remarks that it'll be so quiet for her with everybody gone, and she invites him to come to supper the next day since she's having Branson over that evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, no indication as to whether she has anybody working in her house. Right. She may just be Miss Havishimming it up in there. Right. Well, also, she's just like, like, oh, it, here, it, it, would you like this last meal that Emma's <laughs> has been moldering for weeks? <laughs> Don't mind the dust. Brushes right off. <laughs> Well, no, and it's like, because he said it would be very quiet for her, and I just, she was like, yes, well, I may still have a job in York. Nobody seems to know. (laughs) I set fire to the Whore Institute when I handed in my resignation. (laughs) Clearly, it didn't work. Right. I mean, except again, I'm pointing out, we made up that she resigned from that. She never actually did. Oh, I know. So, well, nobody cares. These are the problems of the idle rich. They can just be like, oh, I don't want to go in. For now or maybe ever. <laughs> right. Just, eh, whatever. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, Sybil used to pop in and out of the hospital whenever <laughs> she damn well felt like yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, back at Downton, we get a shot of Branson sitting by himself in the breakfast and we think also lunch room, uh, which is a really – I really enjoy the first point five seconds of this scene. <laughs> It was just him, and it's it's a wide shot that shows the gigantic painting that covers the wall, and he's just there by himself staring into space. Um, but then it is, of course, ruined by Edna, who shows up, supposedly on a legitimate errand. She says that Carson sent her up to clear the table, thinking that Branson would be gone. And that may be true, but I don't trust that Edna any farther than I can throw her. Which is pretty far. I would think, yeah. Well, She's pretty slight. Yeah, but she also has magic powers. <laughs> so, who can say? Yeah, she says that it must be sad for Branson to be left all alone, and he says that he's used to it, and she's just like, oh, yeah, I bet you are. She's so totally inappropriate that I couldn't even freaking write anything. <laughs> right. She's like, oh, yeah, like, implying that he would be used to it because his wife died. Yeah. I, uh, well, 
I don't understand her. I know. She's like, well, I'm lucky, you see. If I ever get lonely, I can just summon a black cat from the bowels of hell to keep me company. <laughs> because having magical powers is literally the only explanation for why anyone engages with her or why she thinks she has the upper hand. Or how she got hired. <laughs> Those are not the maids you're looking for. <laughs> I'm like, making a Jedi uh, hand motion. Right. Which you is can't great see for a it. Podcast. Yeah, it's really good for a podcast. <laughs> she, you know, like, there were just. <laughs> there was a line of other applicants at the door, but a mysterious wind <laughs> blew them all away. <laughs> Mrs. Patmore sticks her head out. The position has been failed. <laughs> Isis is like, oh. <laughs> Anyway, Branson says that he's got plenty to do and uh, discovers that her name is Edna Braithwaite and he pieces out. Like, very not, not, he's just, he's minimally polite and then he leaves and, the room. And she's grinning yeah. after this. And I'm like, what do you think just happened? I, Are you an assassin uh, from the Irish Nationals? Uh, yeah. Like, sent to, like, either bring him back or kill him for his obvious betrayal? Because if that's so, you just missed a great opportunity. Because he, nobody else... There were probably knives everywhere. Yeah. He must have been eating with a knife, grab it, stab him, and whisper to his ear about the country that he betrayed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aaron, yeah. go fuck yourself. <laughs> Literally. Any backstory. Any backstory would have been appreciated here, Baron Fellows. Yeah. Would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some cars pull up to what looks like a CGI castle, <laughs> so I guess we're in scotland yeah it literally looks fake like i i have no doubt that this is a real castle but it's but it looks fake it looks like it's disney it looks like it's you know from the first two harry potter movies yeah before they really figured out (laughs) how cgi works columbus yes yeah (laughs) barf speaking of home alone yeah Cousin Rose youthfully runs out of the house to where Shrimpy and Lord Grantham are greeting each other. Shrimpy is rather large and yes. with a distinguished white beard. Mm-hmm. Rose starts gushing to uh, Mary and Edith that they've got lots planned to do. They'll have the Gillies Ball, which Mary's always the star of. Yes. Now, the Gillies Ball had a little bit of a difficult time figuring out exactly what the significance of it is. Okay. Now, it seems to be a tradition that started at Balmoral. Okay. Please correct me if I'm wrong, cousins, but it was a ball thrown for the servants and staff at Balmoral and named for uh, a ghillie is a guy who assists a fly fisherman, essentially. It's also the term for shoes worn for traditional Scottish and Irish folk dancing. Mm. So, I mean, you know, they're doing the traditional reels. Right, right, right. Uh and so, you know, I think it's sort of a combo of all of those. But, you know, the, you know, the idea is that, oh, they're all there to do all this sport. They're there to mm-hmm. do fly fishing and everything. So it's, oh, the Gillies Ball. Okay. But, the, you know, the servants are invited as guests. Okay. Not as servants. Right. So they're having that. Yeah. Also, and- actually, while you were looking up the Gillies Ball, I was looking up a little bit. And at, at least according to IMDb, the flinchers are actually listed as the Marchion and Marchioness. I'm not sure about the pronunciation on that. It's basically just a variant on Marquess. Uh, and is it a Scottish variation? I think, or a Welsh? I think it might be Welsh. I'm not sure. Which is interesting because at one point in the episode, I think Lord Grantham, Grantham specifically addresses him as a Marquess. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, that was just how they're listed on IMDb. I was, I was looking it up. Uh, they're all, you know, they're all just different. They all mean the, the, exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. But 
actually the original distinction between Marquess and Count was that a mark was an area on the border of the country, and thus the Marquess was expected to was needed to be more reliable and expected to defend against foreigners that would be next door, as opposed to a count who would be running a county that might be inland and thus. Oh, so that's that's why a Marquess was a step that up. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it also turns out that there's actually there's only one Marquess left in England. Uh, they don't, they didn't, they pretty much stopped awarding the title, and most of them at some point have been absorbed into some other, like, dukedom or mm-hmm. whatever. So there's still a lot of courtesy Marquises out there, but there's just one, uh, that's, I think, I forget, I think Westminster maybe, or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Not, I prefer the uh, French pronunciation so much more. Marquis just sounds way more, like, oh, fancy. Yeah, absolutely. That's just me. That's oh, yeah. just my preference. Yeah, yeah. In case you ever want to introduce yourself to me. Marquis is the way to go. Anyway, that was a little remaining pure. Marcus, <laughs> who I'm sure listens to this podcast. Oh, I would. What else does he have to do? Really, they're uh, not getting invaded anytime That's soon. That's true. So Susan, aka Lady Flincher, uh, which I think we talked in the last episode, but if you need help remembering, right. her maid is the one who helps spread the rumor about Lady Mary and Mister Pamuk. Yes, so they're kind of all. Yeah, so you've heard of these people, even if you had forgotten that you had. But her name is Susan. She greets the Dowager Countess and is so thrilled that they've, you know, induced Cousin Violet to come up for this trip. Mm-hmm. And she tells McGee that they'll take luncheon up to a mountain lock that McGee likes so damn much. <laughs> and Shrimpy chimes in and says it was his idea. And the face that Susan makes, apparently she's passing a kidney stone <laughs> at that moment. She appears to be for much of the episode. Yeah. She just goes dead behind the eyes and tells McGee that T is in the library when she's ready to come down. And it's very unsettling. Yeah. Rose Squires Mary and Edith through a main hall that is gaudy as shit. Yeah. It makes Downton Abbey look like a log cabin. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also the interior design was by the NRA. Yeah. Because there's literally walls just covered with gu- covered with guns. Uh-huh. And deer heads and stuff. Yeah. It's just like, you're really, you're making a wall decoration just all guns? Mm-hmm. You just had, you literally had so many guns that you couldn't think of anything useful to do with half of them. Well, there's uh, far fewer people to shoot at now the war is over. <laughs> well, that's true. Downstairs at Downton, a fat man in a bowler hat comes along who appears to be some sort of cartoon character. Um, he comes in downstairs and he says that he's looking for Mrs. Patmore. Thomas gives him a bit of a uh, interrogation as he is not one of their regulars. I think Thomas is a great underbutler, yeah. incidentally. I think he is really good at that job. Yeah. No, I thought he behaved perfectly mm-hmm. appropriately with this character. But apparently he took over the store of a Mr. Cox in Thirsk, who was one of their regular suppliers. And uh, uh, Mrs. Patmore then comes in. She says, did I hear somebody taking my name in vain? <laughs> Which is great. Um, and when this character says he, he took over, he took the liberty of filling the order himself. And Thomas is, says something about how uh, that was it was quite a liberty. And Mrs. Patmore's like, I can handle this, Thomas. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it from here. Apparently, the guy's name is Josh Tufton. Uh, it would have been Josh, but he is so stereotypically English that he cannot pronounce H's. So <laughs> it's just Josh. Uh, and she begins uh, inspecting the goods that he has delivered, uh, foodstuffs. He is a, a food salesman. Um, Mr. Tufton, we're, we're just going to go with Mr. T for this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pity the fool that gets too invested in this character. <laughs> <laughs> but Mr. T sticks his finger in her vichyssoise and uh, eats some of her tart. 
neither of those are euphemisms. Zing! Yeah. Uh, but he's quite impressed. He says he hasn't food, had food that good since he was in London, and he wouldn't mind eating like that every day. And Mrs. Patmore says, well, I'm more than a pretty face. It's not very cute. She says that she'll go ahead and accept the order, but she'll give him what for, if anything, and it is a miss. Uh, and he says that he hopes she finds something wrong because he wants to see her again. And she says, be off, you cheeky devil. And the maids are so amused. Yes. They Quite are. Amused. I wish I had the mystery maids standing around in the background of all my conversations. Me too, because I bet they'd clean our house. <laughs> that too. But they're always so invested. Back in the Highlands, in the Bizarro Servants Hall at Dunneagle, I think Baron Fellows finally found a use for all those leftover blue filters from Murder Prison, and he's employing them here. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because it's all the upper servants eating, so I'm wondering if Dunneagle has a lower servants hall, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is not entirely uncommon. Yeah. Well, and they are a, they are a slightly higher ranking mm-hmm. just in terms of peerage. Yeah, but it's just like, hello, everybody. I would like you to all meet your evil Scottish twins. (laughs) (laughs) They've all got red goatees and kilts. (laughs) Uh, It's a super awkward meal. Anna's not eating or not eating much, as pointed out by uh, who we will call Mac Carson, (laughs) the butler at Dunneagle. I have no idea what his actual name was. Yeah, I don't think it ever comes up. Anna says it's a bit earlier for them to eat because they don't eat until after the family. And uh, Mac O'Brien says that's how they do things in London, and she prefers it. She has a little bit of a an eye showdown with Matt Carson. Yeah. Well, because I'm assuming that Lady Flinch. Well, we know that the the uh, the family spends most of their time in London, right? So this guy is clearly just their butler up here. I think yeah, I, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, he's not pleased with her questioning his authority, <laughs> so he asks. O'Brien, however, he calls her Miss Grantham, how she feels about it. And O'Brien just says, oh, I just do as I'm told. (laughs) And Anna says it's funny to her to hear O'Brien and Bates called Miss Grantham and Mr. Grantham. Nobody else thinks it's funny. No. Nobody that thinks it's even the well least at all. bit funny. Yeah. Well, I'm just like, do you not do this at Downton? Because this was pretty SOP. Right. We saw it in right. Gosford Park. You know, well, Anna, but, yeah, but, Anna's Miss Crawley. And- I mean, I think it was two things. I think one, she... It, she didn't think it was odd. She just, it just rings funny in her ears yeah. specifically. And she's just making awkward conversation at this awkward It's like, meal. just eat your damn dinner. <laughs> Quit trying to be nice. Yeah. And it's also, of course, Julian Fellows wanting to show off to all the people at home that he knows this stuff about yeah. servants. Well done. You already saw Gosford Park. God. <laughs> McCarson asks how Anna and Bates manage at home, both being called Bates. And Anna admits that she's still called Anna causing O'Brien to give up on her lady's maid high horse saying she hates to see a lady's maid degraded because as we all know lady's maid is the best thing that anyone can be in the whole world right possibly better than being the lady of the house or even the queen it sort of seems that way yeah anyway Mac O'Brien chimes in and says she's so glad that there's a kindred spirit in the house and we're like get a room oh my god just kiss already oh it is and also Mac O'Brien is she's like a Mrs. Danvers type. Yeah. Like she is horrifying looking. Yeah. No, she's she like she you know, compared to Edna, she makes sense as a character reasonably. Mm-hmm. Like well yeah, as we learned just, what a horrible situation she's in for one thing. Yes. But she just like she I would not want to run across her in a dark alley. Or in a well lit room. Yeah. She is intimidating. 
at any rate, McCarson stands up, so they all stand up, which I can't remember if they do that in Downton. I don't think they have to stand up when Carson stands up. I'm not sure. Anyway, he says that he'll announce dinner in 10 minutes and tell Mrs. Crane, who we assume is either the housekeeper or the cook. Yeah. I mean, I would think the housekeeper would be in there, That's so I'm true. thinking so probably cook. the cook. Yeah. Up in the McDining room, <laughs> a bagpiper walks through. Oh, my God. A fucking bagpiper in full inside tartan. the house. Full tartan. Walking around the table. He's got a sporin. Oh my god. It's the worst thing ever. It's the worst thing ever. And we get <laughs> reaction shots of everybody in turn registering their dismay. Listen, I mean, no offense to the Scots. Right. However, oh my god. Bagpipes, <laughs> seriously? You know even, what? You know, even. Almost a hundred years ago at this point. Well, I mean, beyond that, like, it's not just bagpipes themselves. Like, if it was somebody walking around the room playing a trumpet, that would be just as horrifying. <laughs> like, why is this happening? But uh, Lord Grantham, of course, is thrilled that these old customs are being maintained, which uh, some clearly shouldn't be, yeah, obviously. like this one. <laughs> clearly a mistake. Uh, and Susan, before... Uh, before he gets too happy about these old customs, reminds him that the bagpiper will return to wake everyone at 8 a.m. And Rose adds that he will keep it up all the way through breakfast, uh, which Shrimpy smugly points out that thus there's no chance that anyone will get back to sleep. You know, Lord Grantham is a big fan of the bagpiper. He, you know, he says, how convenient. Whenever I want to have a miserable meal at home, I have to invite Isabel. <laughs> Shrimpy says that they'll be getting fitted out with rifles the next day, and the Dowager Countess wonders what's been planned for the women. Rose says that they'll be taking a picnic by the lock the day after tomorrow. Which doesn't answer what they're doing the second day. Uh, embroidering? Ugh. They can do that at home. I don't know. Chick stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about their periods or whatever. These women don't talk about their periods, I'm not aware of that. Lord Grantham may not be. And then the Gillies Ball on Friday is, of course, always good fun, as we've already been told repeatedly. This better be a hell of a ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan then says, as long as it's not too much fun. With- it's like, whoa, lay off the David Foster Wallace lady. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. As you know, the Flincher family motto is, never fun. <laughs> um, Our sigil is a wet blanket. Yeah. Edith takes the time to mention that uh, Gregson is staying nearby. Wink! (laughs) Right. And Rose encourages her to invite him over. Shrimpy says that it's settled and they'll have him for dinner, unless Susan objects. To which Susan goes, why would I object? And we're like, because you look like that. Yeah. (laughs) You have an objectionable face. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, No, but it is just... I, I... You know, they're horribly uncomfortable and unpleasant sort of to be around, but I like both of them. No, the the actors are excellent. Yeah. I really like the dynamic with Rose. It makes the character of Rose make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. I almost mm-hmm. wish we'd gotten this before being right. introduced to her scandalous lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it works both ways. Yeah. But I like Rose in this episode significantly more than I liked her in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because before it seemed like she didn't have a reason to be acting out like this. Right, right. But now we really see... Oh, she does have a reason mm-hmm. uh, to be acting the way that she's acting. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I really like the dynamic between the three of them and between, uh, you know, Rose and Trimpy when we see it and between Rose and her mother. Yeah. And then between uh, 
Shrimpy and Susan. Yeah. So. Yeah. So kudos there. Mrs. Patmore waltzes from the kitchen into the servants' hall and says it was too good to be true. Mr. T sent her dry ginger instead of fresh, which both Mark Bittman and America's Test Kitchen will tell you is a crime <laughs> against God and man alike. It's a crime against ginger. <laughs> what about gingers? Well, they're Alfred's on the off in a corner crying. <laughs> but she said she didn't specify in her list because Mr. Cox knew what she liked, which was fresh ginger. Thomas says that he's going to thrisk. Thrisk? Thirsk. Thirsk. Yes. Jesus Christ. That's England for you. Thomas says he's going to thirsk, and he can take the ginger back and swap it out for fresh. And Mrs. Patmore tells Alfred to go with him because he would like that shop, because that makes sense. This is, uh, apparently, turns out Alfred has a uh, new character trait, likes food. Just sto- he he likes- well, He's always wanted to be well, a chef. Right. But it, it seems to be more expressed that he just likes standing near food. That seems to be... Who doesn't? Well, I know. This- I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Carson gets very snitty about them leaving Branson to his own devices for lunch. Uh, but Mrs. Hughes informs him that Branson said he was going to be getting lunch at the Grantham Arms the next day. So uh, everybody's allowed to go to Thirsk. Yeah. I mean, I think Carson was more just a little snitty about Mrs. Hughes giving his, you know, servants permission to leave for a day. Yeah. It's like, I, they, I, they work for me. At Crawley House, Boo. <laughs> Branson is over as promised. And Isabel says that it must be weird for him to be alone at the big house. And he says he's not alone. He knows everyone there, but the people he knows are all downstairs, and he's upstairs. And the ghost of Sybil comes and goes. <laughs> this is true. Well, he's got that horrible picture. So. It's true. Yeah. I If I were the ghost of Sybil, I would never want to be near that picture. <laughs> yeah. Isabel says that he should know that he should feel free to come to Crawley House whenever he wants. Branson does not point out that that would mean he would never come. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Isabel encourages him to spend time with the servants. Uh, he feels that old Lady Grantham would not like that. But Isabel doesn't care, damn it. Yeah. Uh, he, she says that she probably doesn't approve of the working class learning to read. Which is, uh, you know, not true. But that's that's the old Isabel-Violet feud going on. Yeah. Well, and it just, I don't know, you know... They have a good chuckle about that, but I'm like, you know, you're both members of the ruling class now. Like, as much as you'd both like to try to deny it, yeah. you're definitely oppressing some people. You definitely are, and you both uh, used to think you were liberal. But you're not. Nope. God, it's like what happens to everyone. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Julian Fellows once thought he was liberal, I'm sure. <laughs> Look at all of my homosexual pals. <laughs> Oh, jolly good. I'll appropriate their stories for my televised entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Isabel tells Branson that he, as a, the agent of the estate, can has a perfect right to talk to anyone he works for. Uh, does not warn him that some of them may be creepy witches who attempt <laughs> to seduce him. Or assassins. Or assassins. Or aliens. Could be. We don't know what she is yet. <laughs> we really don't. So Branson comes back to the house, but he enters through the downstairs door, uh, very much surprising Mrs. Hughes. Yes. And she tells him that she needs his permission uh, for the maids to be able to clean during the day when the family is gone. Although, don't the maids usually clean during the day? I, it's just a change of routine, whatever anyway, it is. Yeah. He says she doesn't need her permission, but she's like, uh, yeah, you 
do. That's yeah. really how this whole upstairs downstairs thing works. Yes. You and know? it was very, very nice, very polite, but very firm. Like, Mrs. I Hughes do- is the best man. Well, yeah. I mean, what I wrote down was why does Julian Fellows keep writing scenes that Mrs. Hughes isn't in? She should be in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's name our first child Mrs. Hughes. <laughs> Boy or girl, I don't care. That can't possibly cause any problems. I agree. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Mrs. Hughes, Anakin Schneider will be the name of our child. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. Uh, up at Dunneagle. Boo. <laughs> I'm just going to boo everywhere. Okay. That's that's pretty much justified great. for the next... Uh, Forever. Few, yeah. Uh, Mary is telling Anna that she was a bit shaken up on the train, but not to tell Matthew about it, both to keep him from worrying and also from, you know, having, feeling like he was right about something. But mainly she doesn't want him to worry. She doesn't want to spoil this last treat before fatherhood claims him. Uh, These people are not into the hands-on parenting. Right. I don't know what she thinks is going to happen. Right. Like... Brand well, is a single parent, and he still never sees his kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Anna uh, says that he's not going to change his ways much after the baby comes, which is funny because Mary's not going to change her ways at all. No, no, <laughs> most definitely not. She's like, yes. oh, look at this thing I pooped out. <laughs> well, I'm off to the spa. Call me after you've come out, baby. <laughs> Anyway, Banana's all like, oh, you know, no man changes ways. And it's like, man, am I right? Waka, waka, waka. Yeah. Uh, Mary asked Anna if she's being treated well by the staff there. Which I liked. I thought that was a good detail because she brings it up very nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't expect any trouble. But, you right. know, they do like to make sure that things are going all right. And it's funny to me, too, because... Obviously, the implication is that the flinchers are in a higher social strata right. than the Crawleys are. Right. Well, and they're not even called the flinchers. They're called something else, like the McCranes or something? McClares, McClares. I think. But at the same time, I think there's an implication that the Crawleys are just better at managing things. Yeah. Yeah. They don't... Overall. Yeah. The, the, the McClares never seem to... Uh, to have things together, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Anna is being treated fine. She is, however, worried about the Gillies ball because she feels so English. Um, you know, you just have to... That's how I would feel living in Ohio, going to hang out in Kentucky. <laughs> yes. Mary, however, loves reeling. She would reel all the ding-dong day if she wasn't pregnant. Uh, oh, someone invent TV already. I'm so <laughs> bored of this conversation. Dancing? Seriously? Ugh. They're, or at least invent grinding. <laughs> They're literally working on inventing TV. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody is on that. <sighs> More bagpipes. The bagpiper is back out in front of the house at dawn. As promised. And, you know, we get an exterior castle shot of the sheep and the bagpipes. Lord Grantham wakes up. He's cranky. McGee don't give a fuck. This scene is pointless. It is pointless, except I like McGee making fun of Lord Grantham. She does make fun of him, <laughs> which we're always a fan of. Yeah. We cut to Matthew out in the field, practice shooting at stag cutouts right. made of wood. Uh, he basically gets his ass handed to him by this guy named Neald, uh, who's this like grizzled old Scotsman. Yeah. I want to see a spinoff called Neald and the Gang. <laughs> I don't know what kind of gang. I don't know what they get up to. A gang of gillies. Oh my god. 
I'm so sold. I want to see this. All right. Uh, anyway, then uh, Lord Grantham's like there, like bumbling around, and Neil pretends that Matthew's doing well, despite the fact that Matthew is clearly not doing well. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, but anyway, Shimpy. Neil. Neil. Neil knows who pays his salary. Yeah. Speaking of Shrimpy and Rose, walk up just now, and uh, according to Neil. Uh, Shrimpy's quite good at the stalking. He was born with a rod in one hand and a rifle in the other, which Shrimpy says sounds rather uncomfortable. Yes. Which is hilarious. <laughs> it is. Team Shrimpy! <laughs> uh, Lord Grantham tactfully comments that he loves that Gilly speak, which I guess Gilly then is also maybe just a name for Highlander. I do recall seeing that it was also slang for uh, sort of like the the retinue of people who served Highland chiefs. Oh, okay. So if the idea is that, you know, the British aristocracy having usurped the Highland chiefs' roles, they've also usurped their retinue. Right. And are now, you know, calling them gillies in a way that's really offensive. Well, I mean, in this context, he is Scottish aristocracy. He right. Is. No, but I mean, I'm saying, yeah, but I'm saying like now the Brits have taken it all over and they're like, oh, oh. how charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Oh, uh, this is certainly, this is, this is Lord Grantham at his most patronizing uh-huh. in that, like that line in particular. I'm, oh, I was so like, ugh, yeah, just, I'm like, he wasn't yeah. even saying anything like gilly speak. Right. He, he was has just, a bro. He was just making conversation. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Poor Neil. I can't wait till you get to there with that gang and kill all the upper class. That oh, that's what they could do. Yeah, well, they've got all the gun knowledge, you know. Who's stalking who? <laughs> that wasn't the right accent. But no, it we've wasn't. We've all heard my pathetic attempts at a Scottish accent before. Right. So it's best to just <laughs> leave it be. Yeah. Lord Grantham asks where uh, Susan is, and Rose says that Susan took the Dowager Countess to see the gardens, and then she just walks away, <laughs> yeah. uh, freeing Shrimpy up to say that Rose hates her mom, and then also that he has to go be a ceremonial figure on a distant shore. So he's being shipped out by the British government to go, you know, oppress some people. Right. And uh, Lord Grantham is a little concerned that he is working too hard. If you recall, he works harder than a slave. <laughs> yes, indeed he does. And according to Shrimpy, a change of sink, which I assume means scenery, is as good as a rest. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I missed uh, just a second ago with Neil uh, trying to encourage Matthew, and he said uh, is that you just need to be calm and confident. And Matthew said, I thought I was calm and confident. I'm so calm and confident that I'm quitting a massively successful TV show for no reason. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, we're mad at Dan Stevens. More on this later. <laughs> yes. The Dowager Countess asks Susan if she knows where they'll be posted. They're out walking the ground somewhere. Susan says no, but it will be filthy and dirty with awful food and no one to talk to. Iowa! <laughs> Sorry, Iowa. That was literally the first thing I thought of. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what kind of food you have. Um, or hygiene. Yeah. Well, while we're making fun of people, Scotland, clearly not a fashion center. Ugh! Like seriously, Susan always looks like she just like like she and a bunch of mice had to come up with the best they could out of right. a burlap sack. Yeah, it's like here's a tent, you've got five minutes. Like And her hair always looks bad. Yeah. Her hair always looks like nobody even combed it. Which uh turns out to be plot relevant. Right. We'll get to that. But yes, the Dowager Countess says that that sounds like a week with my mother-in-law. She talks so much <laughs> shit about her mother-in-law still. And this woman has to have been dead <laughs> right. for like at least 
30, <laughs> not 50 years. I just like that she hated her mother-in-law so much yes. that even at death four, <laughs> confronted with the possibility of being reunited. The, the one thing that comforts me is about my approaching death is the chance to spit in my mother-in-law's eye. <laughs> Uh, the Dowager Countess asks if Rose will go with them to this posting, and Susan gets all weird about it. Uh, the Dowager Countess says that no one would accuse her of being modern, but even she realizes that it's no crime to be young, which is that's a little modern, mm-hmm. Dowager Countess. She's always been a little modern. Yeah. Thoroughly modern Violet. That's <laughs> yes. Susan says that she, the Dowager Countess doesn't see how everybody gangs up on her. And I guess she just means Shrimpy and Rose, because no right. one else is around. Unless <laughs> right. Neild gets in on the act. Maybe in Mac- which case, that would be very intimidating. Or possibly McCarson. Yeah. Would certainly, presumably, side with Shrimpy on everything. Mm-hmm. So, But yeah, but Susan tells the Dowager Countess, uh, who has promised to try and keep the peace, she says, it's very well, but you're my mother's sister, and you can jolly well be on my side. They all have a good laugh. <laughs> yes. In the servants' hall, this looks like this looks like the lower servants' hall to me because it's where all the bells are right, in the various right. rooms. The yeah. front doorbell rings and a footman goes to answer it. Uh, O'Brien is sitting there with Mac O'Brien, and O'Brien says she'd like to travel more. And Mac O'Brien mentions that you know they're going to be posted somewhere in the Empire, and how much she doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to be all sweaty and have you know food or water poisoning all the time. Right. Uh, and O'Brien says she'd like to go because yeah. she doesn't get to travel much outside of going to London a few times a year. And, you know, otherwise she's just stuck in Yorkshire like a chump. Yeah. The Which, interestingly, Mac O'Brien asks, what about when... What about the House of Lords? As Lord Grantham is a member, but uh, he just goes with Bates, we learn. Which, I don't know, does Mac O'Brien go to the House of Lords? I think maybe the implication is that when... Well, but again, they live in London. Well, that's true. But I guess maybe she's thinking that whenever he attends the House of Lords, maybe he takes McGee with him. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Anyway, back at Down Abbey, Alfred and Jimmy Kent are sitting in front of a table of silverware just sort of staring at it. Because no one's invented smartphones yet, so that's the best that they can do procrastination-wise. <laughs> right. Uh, Carson walks by the door, sees them, and clears his throat. And they immediately leap into action. And there's a long pan shot of, look at all this silverware they have to clean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, serving sucks. Edith comes into the sitting or drawing room that uh, Dunneagle. Dunneagle has to offer. Yes. And she tells McGee that Michael Gregson will, in fact, come for dinner. Mary says she supposes he doesn't find himself at Dunneagle very often. And Mitchie chides her for being snobbish. And Mary says, yes, I'm a snob. I, <laughs> I thought you knew. I don't know what I had that governess for. <laughs> yes. You know, because she, she doesn't just say that he has, he says that he doesn't find himself at Dunneagle or anywhere like it. Uh-huh. So, boom. So, Edith insists that he's just there on a sketching and fishing holiday, which Mary is very skeptical about. Right. But Matthew comes in. And Edith tells him that Mary's decided to be nasty about Michael Gregson. And I'm like, I don't know that it's a matter of deciding for Mary. I think it just comes out that way. Yeah. And Mary says she's just questioning his motives for being in the Highlands at this particular time. Right. Matthew smooths it over, but Edith is still clearly quite put out. Yeah. And I, I did actually like this little Matthew Mary moment because he says something. He ends it by saying, so there to Mary. And it's just this interaction where it's like, listen, Mary... You know, that they've worked out between themselves, where it's like, listen, Mary, 
obviously I can't make you stop, but you're looking bad. I'm helping you out by pointing out yeah. that you're looking bad right now. And she pretends. Oh, like you that time. Well, yeah, yeah. And those other times. <laughs> Various times. Branson takes Isis to the <gasps> Grantham Arms for a pint. But who is in the corner but Edna? Boo! Ah! Edna! <laughs> like, it's frightening. <laughs> um, he says to her that it's daring to be sitting in a pub alone and that the whole village will cut her off. She says that she's uh, stalking him. And he doesn't uh, run screaming into the hills. Yeah, apparently so. stalking's pretty de rigueur for these people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, in the age of no internet, you did have to do all of your stalking in person. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You really had it to was... put yourself out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she says something about the family being gone, and, he's, she, and then she says, oh, but your family. And he says, well, as you know, I am, but I'm not. She's like, oh, so the same way I'm human. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand why Isis hasn't ripped this bitch's throat out at this point. (laughs) I know. Can't she sense evil? Like, What what, good is she? Cut off below frame as Isis just like pointing at her and like all her fur standing up. (laughs) Like Like all the birds outside are like freaking out. (laughs) The sheep everywhere are just dropping dead. (laughs) I have to ask you to stop coming here, ma'am. My beer all turns to blood whenever you walk in. (laughs) She's like, perfect. I'm a vampress, you see. It's like reverse Bram Stoker's Dracula. I suppose. Less absinthe and Sadie Frost. I, I can only assume that you're correct. Ah... Why are you being so horrible? All right. You watched it with me. I know, and I remember nothing. Ah, Sorry. We're getting a divorce. Fair enough. Uh, In any case, speaking of bad relationships, um, (laughs) they they talk a little bit about how Branson wears nice clothes now, and he gives a half-hearted excuse for why that is. Uh, He says he was tired of his clothes being a topic of conversation every time he came downstairs. I was like, oh, you know what else people are tired of? Being oppressed by the British just because they're Irish. <laughs> Remember those days, comrade? It, it does get a little wearisome. <laughs> anyway. In good old Thirsk, <laughs> Alfred compliments Mr. T's shop. They're standing outside so they didn't have to pay a location fee, I assume. <laughs> Mr. T tells him and Jimmy and Thomas that they'll be having a fair and that he's going to run a stall there so they should come. Uh, Jimmy's there for some reason. Yeah. Why? What's his purpose on this mission? Unclear. No, he's just there. He's wearing a jaunty cap. Uh, but anyway, he says for them to wait a minute so he can send Mrs. Patmore a special note. And uh, things remain awkward between Thomas and Jimmy Kent because, you know, Thomas is like, oh, hey, who fancies a trip to the fair? And Jimmy's like, mm, I'll go if everybody is going. <laughs> but this isn't like a date, okay? This is like a group of friends going to homecoming <laughs> or something, okay? We're just going to go to like... You know, like a sit-down restaurant that has, like, fast food prices. Hey, hey, you know what's pretty? Uh, vaginas. Big fan. I love them. Just saying. And Alfred's like, I love spices. <laughs> so many spices. Well, he says there's spices there that he's never seen before. And like what? Like salt? <laughs> yeah. You freaking weirdo. <laughs> Back at 
Downton Abbey, Carson is upset about this request to go to the fair. He tells Mrs. Hughes that the staff can't go gallivanting off to every fair at the drop of a hat. They've already been to one. Yeah, and that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> that was before the war. Yeah. How does he even remember that fair? <laughs> Uh, but then Mrs. Patmore comes up to ask if she can have the afternoon off on Friday to go to the Thirsk Fair. Carson is rather upset by this because he can't say no to Mrs. Patmore and therefore won't be able to say no to the others. Which doesn't make any sense. I'm not like, arguing Mrs. with Patmore that. Like, Mrs. Patmore is different. Agreed. Uh, but in any case, Mrs. Patmore tells Mrs. Hughes that they should all go to the fair. Hooray! Yeah, so awesome. Well, and she does mention she's been invited to go to the fair by a friend of hers. Yes. Uh... Meaning, good old Mr. T. Yes. Gregson arrives at Dunneagle, and Edith, again, looks delightfully boho. She's Jeez. doing this great thing where she's tying these scarves around her hair, mm-hmm. and she just looks incredible. She looks very modern. Yeah. She's clearly been spending a lot of time in London. Mary well, mentioned that, actually. Yeah. Uh, when they first arrived, she was saying to Rose, because Rose was saying, oh, we should all go to London sometime. And Mary was like, oh, well, Edith goes way more than I do these days. Yeah. When she's, like, her her clothes always look comfortable. Mm-hmm. Matthew says to Mary that he looks all right, but Mary continues to be a huge bitch, <laughs> which is fun. Yes. Uh, Edith starts introducing Gregson around everyone. McGee tells him that well, she started reading his magazine because of Edith's column, which is not true. Right. In the very first episode, she's reading about the Titanic going down in the Daily Sketch. Yeah. Like, we, we pay attention to these things. We do. People. We watch these episodes upwards of two, three times. <laughs> That's okay? right. We watch these a lot. Yeah. And it's, like, visible. Yeah. And- it was, you could see the title. We did a whole, like, fashion backwards on it. Yeah. Why? You were perfectly free to pick a different paper for Edith to work at if you wanted it to be a different paper. And also hire an intern. Yeah. Or possibly a writer. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of the inconsistencies in this episode in particular Mm -hmm. are down to the fact that Julian Fellows writes these episodes by himself. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't work with a group. And I think it's just silly. Yeah. Because if you had a group and you put this stupid Edna plotline in front of them, they would say, hey, uh... (laughs) Okay, right. so you've basically just taken the plot line between Lord Grantham and Jane and made it make even less sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but uh, that's that's what happened. Also, I just wanted to like go back to Mary being a bitch in this scene because I, I did enjoy it. But she says that he uh, had bought those tales specifically yes. for this occasion. Because the first time I watched it, I thought she said brought, as into Scotland. But I'm like, oh no, she's saying he does not own any and yes. just bought them for this. I was like, oh, I do hope he washes the poor off of those tales before he pawns them to buy gin. Oh, gin. <laughs> Is there any problem you can't solve? No. <laughs> That's correct. So anyway, then uh, Lord Grantham puzzles aloud to him as to why Gregson employs amateurs to write for his magazine. And Mary's in the back, and she just goes, I agree. Yeah. Ah, oh, she's awful. In the absence she's- of ISIS, she will fill that vacuum. <laughs> Gregson is just a total class act about it. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's like, I don't see any distinction. You know, the important thing to me is whether you've got something to say. Edith has to come and meet Mary. I'm like, no! I'm like, didn't you... You fool! Didn't she just meet him by being a total bitch? 
Susan is in the background telling Rose not to slouch like a field hand. So I guess we can figure out where Rose picked up her colorful slang <laughs> about how, the type of person her father works like. Yeah. And I'm like, when have you ever seen a field hand? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, that's just like the Gone with the Wind talking. Right, they right. Presumably have field hands in I, Britain, but I still. Would think. Rose asks Susan if she could just not be criticized for five minutes. This does appear to be too much to ask of Susan. Yeah. The Dowager Countess leans over and tells Michi, you know, she knew that things were a bit strained between the two of them, but she doesn't think that Susan is handling Rose very well at all. Mm-hmm. And McGee remarks how hard it is when you have a daughter full of new ideas and how you're so frightened and I'm crying. It was astonishing because it's just it in was, five seconds. It was like the best acting I've ever seen Elizabeth McGovern do. Yeah. And that includes the fairy tale theater Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <sighs> It's a tall order. I know. <laughs> I know. So uh, it's very, very touching. She's clearly still really reeling from Sybil's death. I mean, mm-hmm. she was the right. one most affected of anybody. Yeah. And the Dowager Countess, you know, tries to helpfully remind her that they all miss Sybil every day. Mm-hmm. You know, again, Dowager Countess, not exactly the best at these right. sort of delicate yeah. things. It's not she's what she's try- cut out for. She's but trying. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's nice. McCarson silently looms up in the back room, and uh, Susan informs her when it's time to go in for dinner. Yes. Back at Downton, Branson is playing with Sibby. Sibby! <gasps> Yay! Poor Sibby! Woo! Edna comes in and says that she will take Miss Sibby. I freaking love that. Yeah. That's what we're calling, we're going to call our baby <laughs> Miss Mrs. Hughes Anakin Schneider. <laughs> Like, Nanny, can you take Miss Mrs. Hughes up to the nursery? <laughs> um, we'll call her Miss Mrs. H for short. <laughs> that, that'll make things clear. I think so. <laughs> yeah, so Edna takes Sibby, who immediately starts crying. Run, Sibby! She wants to eat your heart! <laughs> yeah, like, clearly, Sibby knows what's up. You should be paying attention. Uh, Edna asks Branson if he is too ashamed of himself to eat dinner with them downstairs oh because she asked him that at the pub oh we yeah we skipped yeah. over it because that scene was freaking horrible yeah so that this continues There's so many candidates for the new murder prison in this episode <laughs> this plot line continues to careen towards an early grave <laughs> Anna and Bates are walking around the grounds of uh, Dunneagle, apparently at dusk, because Anna remarks that it never really seems to get dark in the Highlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bates says that they should take a picnic out the next day uh, and, you know, have a grand old time. Yes. And then uh, suddenly Rose stumbles out from behind something, smoking and crying, like you do. <laughs> and Anna asks if she's all right. Rose says she will be if they don't tell her mother they saw her smoking. Uh, clearly eager to be the cool parent. <laughs> sure. Anna's like, oh, no, no, no. We would never say anything. And Bates is like, here, have a mint. <laughs> Rose says her mother's been unusually impossible that evening. And then Bates says his entire childhood would seem impossible to her. And she will survive. I'm like, Bates... Don't make this about you. <laughs> yeah. We already had to listen to your dumb stories about the Boer War and Vera and your mom <laughs> and whatever. Like, I just don't care anymore. Fair enough. Then uh, Susan, her spidey sense has gone off, apparently. She comes because it's like a bridge, sort of, or like right, a, like a uh, veranda or something. Yeah. That juts out from the house. So she comes out and she's like, Rose, who are you talking to? And then she's like, come in the house. I'm like, don't you want to know who she's talking to? Uh, apparently not. Eh. 
So anyway, Rose goes back in and thanks them for being not assholes to her. Yeah. Well, she doesn't seem to get a lot of around the house. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a perfectly nice little scene. Uh, back at Crawley House, Boo. Clarkson tells Isabel that he should leave, which is true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the motto at Crawley House is ABL, always be leaving. <laughs> Uh, however, he doesn't want to leave. He says that it's better than his usual night, which is spending the evening with a medical journal and then going to bed with a glass of whiskey. What? Which is not, I don't know what he meant by that. It was odd. But well, he was just depressed. He is depressed. Well, it was like he was going to say something else, but then changed it to glass of whiskey. But I don't know what else. I go to bed with a glass of whiskey every night. I know. Like, that sounds way better I than mean, the evening. I mean, it spills all over by morning, but it's the principle of the thing. <laughs> That's right. And still better than an evening with Isabel. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, they talk about how they like talking to each other because she was a doctor's wife, so she sort of gets it, and they don't have to explain themselves to each other, and it just sort of hangs there awkwardly in the air. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Back at Dunneagle, Gregson tells Edith that the next day he'll go out stalking with Matthew. Uh, Edith, not entirely unaffected by Mary's line of questioning, <laughs> right. uh, wonders why he's in the Highlands, and he says he wants to get to know her family. He thinks that if they like him, then they'll be perfectly happy for Edith to shack <laughs> up with him without the benefit of holy matrimony, right. which, <gasps> buddy, even now and even today, right. that can be a complicated proposition. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he tells her that his basic fact is that he's in love with her. Because she says it won't change the basic fact right. that he has, you know, Bertha Rochester secreted away somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is still so cute. Because he's like, I'm in love with you, you know? Yeah. I just want to do it already. <laughs> uh, but Edith, you know, Edith is still fairly conservative. So she just can't see a happy ending for right. them. Uh, so then the Dowager Countess tells her to stop fascinating that young man and come play bridge. And I'm yeah. like, Granny, are you aware that this young man is so much more unsuitable for her to marry well, than look, Anthony Strallen? The fact is, it, I, it occurred to me as I watched the scene, and it has occurred to me before, that literally one of the skills that all people, but mainly women, were trained in at the time was cock blocking. Like, it was an important function <laughs> that they had. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, Matthew tells Mary that Gregson will, in fact, be going stalking with him. And Mary says that he's also been invited to the Gillies Ball. So those tales seem to have been a good investment, she says. <laughs> uh, she thinks he probably had reeling classes in London. Matthew tells her to give him a chance. He doesn't want them to be like their parents' generation, judging people without getting to know them. Oh, but that's my favorite hobby. I and Mary both agree. <laughs> <laughs> He, so he, he tells her to be nice. She says, you think me nice, but nobody else does. And he thinks it's because – he thinks that he knows the real her because they have sex. Yeah, which – well, I just – that's so wrong. Right. It's very wrong. And the best part of this, again, is Mary's smug look at Matthew's declarations of, like, love and that she's No, because it's like a whole monologue. Oh, right. And she's like, oh, I'm so glad I fooled you. <laughs> Mrs. Hughes continues to berate Carson to let the staff go to the fair. She tries to remind him that he was young once, and he says, I'm young now! <laughs> and she gives him a look, and he's like, well, I'm not old! Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I really like that, too, because it wasn't like a line. It was his immediate, like, yeah. 
instinctive response. To me, I don't think Carson has aged a day since he like turned 21. Uh, right. Uh, she follows him into the Carson cave and tells him that he could come along to the fair. And he says if he went, nobody would have any fun. Because uh, they'd be looking over their shoulder, which is true. Right, right. Mrs. Hughes says she'll go no matter whose fun she ruins. But he says, oh, don't worry about that. You're not as important as me. <laughs> right. Uh, so you won't ruin anyone's fun. And so she thanks him for putting her in her place. <laughs> and he says, don't envy me, Mrs. Hughes. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crowd. <laughs> uh, which is something Henry IV said. And I'm sure he was thinking about butlers when he said that. That's it's the, the butler crown. Yeah. He has. He rarely wears it except on formal occasions, so you haven't seen it yet, but oh, it's there. Neeld leads the gang out on their stalking expedi- expedition, letting them know how the wind's looking. Shrimpy and Lord Grantham are going somewhere else. This is very unclear. Yeah, because they all, it all seemed like they were all going... Stalking. Stalking, but then they were like, no, we're not going, but, but then, then they, they do. go. The point is that, that Shrimpy and Lord Grantham end up in one party and Matthew and Gregson in the other. So Lord Grantham is uh, worried about Mary, you know, as everybody is all the time, understandably. Uh, Susan continues to be a bitch, busts out her, her contemptuous look, which is top-notch. Oh, yeah. Fine, contemptuous look she has. And uh, we get some very majestic shots of horses mm-hmm. for those who like such things. Back in the kitchen, Daisy announces that she's not going to the fair because she's cheap and is apparently a hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's always been a little skeptical about anything. Right, right. But in this episode in particular, it's like, geez, granny, yeah. calm down. But she says she's not going to go to the fair. It's all too expensive. But Thomas offers to buy everyone a bottle of pop. Yeah. And I'm like, what a good boss you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mrs. P gets overly excited about this. She's just trying to whip everybody into a frenzy. She's gone fair mad. Like, ever since <laughs> she, she got this invitation, she's like, you want fair? Hey, hey, have you heard about the fair? We're all going to the fair. You coming to the fair? Fair, 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 uh, fair. I heard it's going to be the best fair ever. And I'm like, is Thursk paying you off to get people to come <laughs> to this fair? Jimmy announces after Thomas says that he'll buy everyone pop that he can buy his own pop. Yeah. Thank you very much. And Daisy says, don't act like you have money to burn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jimmy says he can always get money. And I'm like, uh, what? is your name Dirk Diggler? <laughs> Are you a porn star? Like, where, where does he get his money from? He's <laughs> trapping us mad. I mean, he's a fashing young fellow, but I, he doesn't seem like the type, really. No. Anyway, uh, Mrs. Hughes comes in and says that the store cupboard is open for Mrs. Patmore if she wants anything. Because if you recall, Mrs. Patmore does not have the keys to the store cupboard. Yes. But anyway, Mrs. Patmore doesn't need anything from the cupboard. She just wants to show off something in a dress box to Mrs. Hughes. Ivy sees the dress box and from a dressmaker in Ripon. Mm-hmm. And she surmises that Mrs. Patmore has a fancy man. <laughs> the return of which word I am very happy to hear. Yes. And... Everybody's like, oh, what? And Daisy's like, why shouldn't she? She's a woman. And Thomas says, she's only technically a woman. Yeah. And he's just turned into this, like, wry Stephen Fry. Yeah. And he's just jaunty. I mean, yeah, his he's... his gangster pinstripe suit right. is a little bit much to handle. Right. Well, and it's like, I don't know if it's actually a fedora, because it looks like the brim is a little bit too wide to be a fedora. Mm. But he's wearing a new style of hat. Yeah. Which perhaps on some future episode of Fashion Backwards we will get into. Anything's possible. Rose pops into Mary's room back at Dun Eagle to let her know that they're going, but it's only Anna in there. 
Rose thanks Anna for cheering her up the other night and uh, offers to return the favor if there's anything Anna ever needs. Anna stops her and says, actually, there is something you can help me with. Uh, and the scene cuts off before Rose says, oh, no, I'm rich. I don't actually help people. I simply <laughs> offer. <laughs> Next scene is some beautiful scenery. There's some stalking. We were hoping it would last for like 15 minutes, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, which – I, admittedly, it's less than I remembered, but this Scottish scene is very pretty. But if I want to see Scottish, pretty Scottish scenery, I will watch like Rick Steves. Yeah. And I won't do that. I'll watch Anthony Bourdain and I'll learn the best place to throw up in Glasgow. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is where we figure out that Lord Grantham and Shrimpy are stalking with Neild. Right. Uh, I don't understand what all that rigmarole was before, yeah. but you know what? I don't care. Yeah, Let's who move cares? on. Mrs. Patmore asks if her new blouse makes her look too girlish. Uh, Mrs. Hughes says no, but she hopes that this fancy man is worth it. Mrs. Patmore hands her the note that Mr. T wrote to her, and it says something about, can he have the honor of squiring her to the fair? And she says that no man has wanted to squire me since the Golden Jubilee, and he wanted me to buy the drinks. And uh, Mrs. Hughes wonder says wonders if there's something more to it and that the only reason Mr. T could be courting a respectable woman is because he finds himself in need of a wife which, which is a fair point actually well is a, but to me it's almost too fair of a like yeah what did what did Mrs. Hughes think Mrs. Patmore thought she had is just read like the first paragraph of Pride and Prejudice <laughs> to be fair that no that's true um no, and I like when they're talking about being girlish, and I was like, I want a spinoff of Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore called Grantham Girls. It would be like <laughs> Golden Girls, but better, because there would only be two of them, and it would be those two. <laughs> Excellent. Anna and Bates are out having their picnic. Uh, she's brought some beer along, which he calls rather racy, and she says, I am racy. She is so cute. Yeah. I want to marry her. She is <laughs> so adorable. Sadly, uh, you can't do that. I know. She's married. I know. And... She was so close to being single again. I don't know if it's legal to marry a woman in England, but it's not yet. St- is it in California? I get so confused. Right. It's not yet in California. Okay. Anytime now. Well, anyway, we could go somewhere else. Sure. Anyway, Anna, also she's dead. <laughs> right. uh, Anna toasts to the future and his Scottish blood. He wants to know what she's up to and like grabs a basket away from her. And she's like, nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to kill you and claim it was self-defense to inherit all your money. That's not... I wouldn't <laughs> do that. Uh, that's not what she says. They, <laughs> they smooch, and yeah, it, it actually is yeah, really cute. No, no, no. Like, much as it pains me right. to like anything Bates is doing. Look, he's rehabilitating himself in society and in our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Lord Grantham killed a stag, I guess, so way to go, buddy. We didn't see it. Yeah. He asks Shrimpy if he is all right, uh, and Shrimpy says, of course, I'm not all right, but what's the point of talking when there's nothing to be done? Lord Grantham says he's not sure about that. After all, the Marlboros got divorced, and you still see them around, and he says yes, but Sonny Marlboro doesn't have a post anymore. So that sounded like a uh, you know classic actual history reference from Fellow, so I wanted to look up good old Sonny Marlboro, uh, and it turns out his first wife was Consuelo Vanderbilt, the of the American Vanderbilt family. And it, was, it seems to have been very much a, uh, you know, classic one of these buccaneer situations mm-hmm. that this whole story is based off of. They had two sons, which Consuelo famously referred to as the heir and the spare. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yep. 
The Vanderbilt Dowry was used to restore Blenheim Palace, the ancient home of the Marlboros, and uh, the Churchills, actually, and replenish its furnishings that had been sold over, during the 19th century. They were divorced in 1921, and the marriage was annulled by the Vatican five years later. Because I guess they got married because Consuelo was Catholic. Uh, he then married another American, Gladys Deacon, in 1921. Um, wow, that was quick. It was quick. And it just says here, Later in their unhappy, childless marriage, she kept a revolver in her bedroom to prevent her husband's entry. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, and then it just he says, sure knew how to pick them. Yeah. They separated but never divorced, and it says at the time of his death, the Duke reportedly was negotiating to enter a Catholic religious order in Italy, having converted to that religion late in life. So, What an interesting chap. I know. That's just some random facts about Sonny. So <laughs> he called that, by the way, because he was also, one of his courtesy titles was the Earl of Sunderland. Ah, yes. okay. But yeah, so not necessarily the best role model for Shrimpy, although Shrimpy isn't doing that great as it is, so mm-hmm. who can say? In any case, since Sonny Marlboro has not gotten any posts and Shrimpy apparently enjoys his uh, official positions, divorce is out of the question. So they're just going to soldier on despite the fact that they don't like each other. Back at Downton, uh, Branson awkwardly comes into the servants' hall and asks, and Mrs. Hughes asks how she can help him. Uh, everyone scrambles to stand up uh, except for Edna, who earns a well-deserved glare from Mrs. Hughes for failing to... It's part of her job. Branson asks if he can eat supper with the staff, and Mrs. Hughes tells him, oh, that'll be fine, and to get there at 8 o'clock. It's, she doesn't even skip a beat. Mm-hmm. Well, plus, I mean, she also has a very clear picture, I think, of what's going down here. Right, right, right. And uh, Thomas is quite shocked and says, <laughs> feigns, I tell Mr. Carson, <laughs> meaning gladly. Yeah. It's quite funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, out of the picnic in the Scotland. The ladies' picnic. The ladies' picnic. Here's to the ladies who lunch. <laughs> or who lock. Yeah. Uh, the Dowish Countess complains about nature and how there's so much of it. We also hate nature, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Too, too much nature. Fun fact, this podcast, entirely coal-powered. <laughs> <laughs> McGee, diplomatic as almost always, says that it must be lovely to be the queen of such a kingdom. And Susan admits that she is quite lucky. And actually looks happy. Yeah, yeah. And that's, For the first time in the entire show. Well, that's that's the key about Susan is that she does sometimes, like, it's not yeah. like she's in a complete sour mood at all times. Mm-hmm. The men show up with their stag that they killed. Susan seems pleased, but Shrimpy is dismissive. Yeah, she seems really happy to see them, but he just is like, oh, no. Yeah. He tells how Lord Grantham was the one that shot the stag, and Lord Grantham asks if they're eating venison. Rose says that they ought to eat what they kill, and Susan says, stop talking nonsense, which it didn't appear to be nonsense. No. It appeared to be a perfectly uh, ordinary conversational statement. But We get more Scottish landscape. Matthew and Gregson are out stalking. Uh, they haven't shot anything. They're just walking. Apparently crawling around through the heather reminds Gregson of the trenches. Uh, Matthew does not engage him on the subject of the war, but does invite him to go fly fishing mm-hmm. and reminds him basically that he's there to like cozy up to everybody. So he might as well just go fly fishing and bring his clothes to uh, Dunneagle and change there. Yeah. So yeah. Gregson's plan seems to be going pretty well. It does seem to be. And it's not, I do think the... Uh 
Like Matthew didn't take the, you know, play of the World War One reminiscence, but I think it, it did have some effect. I think that's why he invited him. Yeah. I do yeah. think that. I mean, I guess, you know, God. You'd have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. Otherwise, all you would ever do is talk about it. <laughs> in some hall in Dunegal, O'Brien meets Mac O'Brien, and I had the sudden feeling that if the two of them ever actually touched, they would fuse into one super O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> Optimus Brian. It's <laughs> <laughs> what the O stands for. Apparently, Susan would like to talk to O'Brien. When O'Brien asks what for, McO'Brien says, oh, to make a fuss like she always does. Susan, basically, she, Susan tells O'Brien that Mac O'Brien has been trying to get her hair right, but she's terrible at it. And she, uh, so she would like O'Brien to help them get her hair to look like McGee's. And O'Brien is like, all right, well, it's, you need to get the volume first before you do the shape. You know, she has some advice for it. And Mac O'Brien is pissed. Really pissed. Yeah. But I like when she's like to make a fuss like she always does. Mm-hmm. Cause like it seems like this is a regular occurrence. Yeah. And it's weird. Again, it's weird to me. That O'Brien is a much better ladies' maid than this woman. Yeah, yeah. I just, I wonder what it is about Susan that she can't get a better ladies' maid than this. Yeah. And I mean, and we've learned already from McGee and the Dowager Countess that it's very difficult to break in a new ladies' maid. Right. But well, at the but same think- time, if she's not performing up to your standard. But I don't think, you know, you have to be able to identify you have to be able to have and articulate a standard in order for anybody to meet it yeah and if you're just irrationally complaining about everything nobody's ever going to be able to to satisfy you fair enough yeah uh so it seems that it's after dinner they're all in the drawing room and the dowager countess is talking with shrimpy who says that they'll be posted in bombay they've kind of been vaguely discussing it but they're specifically going to be in bombay and the Dowager Countess wants to know if they'll be taking Rose with them. Shrimpy says he doesn't particularly want to take her, but Susan won't discuss that. And the Dowager Countess says that they better discuss it before Rose gets married to some third-rate colonial official with bad teeth and no money, which yeah. is an excellent point. That is a very good point. And she also, uh, somebody makes a crack about how... The Dowager Countess says something about how the uh, imperial dress is always so ill-suited to the climate, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny that Europeans throughout their history have never been willing to admit that their style of dress or architecture is at all relevant to the climate that they're in. Yeah. Like, nope, this is what clothes should be no matter where you are at all times. Just odd. Well, it is a good way to, you know, spot fellow Brits True from enough. far away. Yeah. That's the only thing I would say. Yeah. Matthew is describing the stalking of the day to Edith, and Mary tells him that it's boring enough to hear about when he succeeds. Here, here. Yeah. Edith asks what he thought, uh, what Matthew thought of Michael, and he says that they're going fishing tomorrow, so I guess he liked him all right. And uh, Mary asks Edith if Michael is another one of her hard luck cases. Which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Because he totally is. Yeah. And uh, Edith is crestfallen. Rose is talking with McGee, and she says that she thinks India would be fascinating, but that she and her mother would kill each other. And I mean, from what we've heard, you know, there's not going to be anybody else around. Yeah, that seems like a good assessment. McGee tries to tell her not to be so hard on Susan. 
And uh, Susan overhears this conversation and tries to butt in. But McGee skillfully lies that Rose was saying how pretty Susan hair hair looks. Uh, Susan <laughs> is surprised because Susan knows very well that her hair does not look very good. And even if it did, Rose would not be discussing it. Oh, absolutely not. No. Rose seems lucky that she did not get her mother's hair. Yeah, that is very like, true. Regardless of who's doing it, Lady Flincher's hair is a freaking mess. It is. It is just frizzy and weird. Yeah, and it's always like lopsided. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Hughes tells Carson that Branson will be coming to dinner. Carson is not amused. But then Branson comes in. Uh, he's, he's there for dinner, and as they walk out, Mrs. Hughes says to Carson that she hopes he won't show an example of rudeness to the younger staff. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Carson may think that he's like the big man, but like, Mrs. Hughes is the one who's unflappable under pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of need both personality types. Sure, sure. But at the same time, she's just, she's just cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Always. Yeah, and that was just the perfect line to say to him mm-hmm. that didn't, well, and that's the other thing. She knows how to manipulate him, but he does not know how to manipulate her at all. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Dr. Clarkson has apparently stopped by Crawley House again. He finds it. Ama- it's un- well, it's, and it's shot from this weird angle on this staircase that we've never seen before, and it's like yeah. really dark. But anyway, he stops by. She asks him if he wants a drink, and he says no. He just wanted to invite her to the Thirsk Fair. But she says, the servants have got a party together, and they're going. And she's like, uh, we're going with the servants? <laughs> right. Which just goes to show you how far Isabel's come yeah. in terms of her overbite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so she agrees. She's like, okay, yeah, let's go. It'll be fun. Oh, as long as we're not mingling with the lower classes. <laughs> the maids are discussing what they will wear to the fair, which is very enjoyable. And Edna manages to manipulate Branson into both coming to the fair and driving them to it. And everybody notices how horribly inappropriate she is being. Except for Edna. <laughs> right. And I, yeah, once again, Edna feels that she had handled this situation masterfully. <laughs> um, Carson is invited to go to the sh- fair, but he would rather chew broken glass. So... Well, if you've ever had fair food, (laughs) the end result is more or less the same. (laughs) Anna's helping Mary get ready for bed at Dunneagle, and Anna's telling her that she had a nice day at their picnic. Mary comments that she shouldn't have gone to the luncheon, uh, because they were shaken about, like, dice in a cup in the trap. They were in a a horse-drawn carriage Mm -hmm. to get there. So Anna insists that she stays in bed the following morning and take it easy at the ball, and Anna says that she is surprising, planning a surprise for the ball, uh, but she won't even tell Mary as a surprise for Mr. Bates and for Mary. Is this going to be like a carry situation? Like there's <laughs> just going to be deer blood everywhere? That would be amazing. <laughs> Anna reminds Mary not to forget what she said about resting, and so Matthew comes in. Matthew always comes in like just after it would be useful for him to come in <laughs> right. for Mary to not have to repeat herself. But she says, you know, she's going to rest the next day, even though she'd rather go out with him fly fishing and interrogate Mr. Gregson. Matthew says he'll, he thinks that Mr. Gregson's going to propose to Edith, but he's quite opaque. <laughs> yeah. And Mary says, a man of mystery. Edith could use some of that. Uh, Matthew calls her horrid, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very cute, and not at all like any conversations I've ever had with anyone I'm married to. It seemed entirely alien to me. I know. Um, also, by the way, I like Mary's Scottish room better than her room in Downton. Yeah, really although nice. I find the lampshades weirdly sexual. <laughs> I can't explain it. I, 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 look, yeah. I don't know. They look like the uterus or something to me. It's very weird. Fair enough. 
Uh, elsewhere in Donegal, Rose is teaching Anna how to dance <gasps> a Highland reel. Oh my gosh, it's so great. This is our new cast for Made to Order. Oh yeah. No, this is fantastic. Yeah. The two of them, they could mm-hmm. be sassy wherever, do whatever they wanted. And Edith could go too. Yeah. I like that cast. No, I like it too. Because Mary's think... too crabby. I don't want her yeah, to be part no, of Made to Order anymore. Yeah. Made to Order is all about being... Well, she can be the antagonist. What about Mr. Bates? Uh, sadly, Mr. Bates passed away. (laughs) (laughs) He was shot in a horrible stalking accident. (laughs) In McGee's parlor, Alfred and Jimmy are supposed to be doing some sort of work, but Alfred warns Jimmy not to be an asshole to Thomas when they go to the fair. He's like, listen, it's been a year since this incident. I think we should finally start discussing it. Jimmy points out that Alfred is the one who called the police on Thomas. But Alfred's main concern is that he not ruin the fair for everybody else. Fair point. Jimmy's tired of working and says, sod this, sits down on a chair. And Alfred freaks out. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, what are you doing? (laughs) What if somebody comes in here? And and Jimmy says, oh, they'll see a man sitting in an armchair. I think they'll survive it. (laughs) Uh, Buoyed by that correct, though unhelpful statement. (laughs) Right. Alfred parks his ass on the sofa. At that point, Alfred te- tells Jimmy that Thomas won't hear anybody say anything bad about Jimmy. Right. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. And Jimmy and we kind of agree, since you'd think Thomas, being the sort that he is, would be a little bit more vindictive. Yeah. I think he'd have been plotting ineffectual vengeance all this I time. I know. Like, helped out by Molesley. <laughs> Dear uh, God. Mrs. Hughes comes in and catches them sitting down, and it's hilarious. Yeah. And she plans to rat them out to Carson. Branson then comes in for some reason. I guess just so that someone from upstairs saw them or something. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's we- I don't know. He just keeps showing up. What? He's probably what? looking for his baby. <laughs> Has anybody seen my baby? <laughs> I'm not sure, my lord. <laughs> it's not my lord. Um, yeah, I seen a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Short answers to Sivvy. <laughs> I'll tell you where she is, but it's going to cast you. <laughs> this has been strange. Well, <laughs> it's a strange show. Uh, Branson wants to know what time the servants are leaving for the fair. It's 4.30. In case anybody wants to meet them there. Right. Set your watches. And he insists that he must drive the servants... Mrs. Hughes reminds him that there is nothing false in his place in the family. She's, you know, she's aware throughout this episode of the, how, you know, weird he finds his position in the family and she's trying to help him understand. Well, and she's also aware that something's up with Edna. Well, right. She hasn't quite determined that she is the devil's spawn of Beelzebub (laughs) Right. Well, I'm just talking about the actual storyline that's going on with Branson in this episode as opposed to the alien storyline that's been grafted onto it. That makes sense, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, she uh, lets him know that Edna is bad news. Yeah. So. Uh, But she can see Edna, like, through the door. She's doing something. Right. And there's just so many great shots of Mrs. Hughes glaring (laughs) at both Edna and other people. Mm -hmm. I just want a super cut of Mrs. Hughes glaring at people in this episode (laughs) so that when people send me emails I don't like, I can just send it to them. (laughs) That is a good plan. And by the way, yes, once again, Edna seems delighted with how that went. No, she could like hear the whole thing. <laughs> I and know. like, yeah, driving to the fair, driving to the fair. I'm going to do single white female on Sybil. <laughs> Even the Sybil's already dead. Right. 
uh hey we're at the fair now Yay. this looks way better than the last fair and really put that post-war technology to use on <laughs> the carousel right. and the uh, the swings and everything. Yeah, it's all looking fun. Mrs. Patmore is meeting her fancy man at his spice stall. Uh, Alfred wants to come along and find out what the best food stalls are. Because presumably this guy would know. Right. The men all want to enter a tug-of-war contest against the tug-of-war champions. Right. Which I'm sure are a totally not shady group of people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Edna's That's so creepy. Often, often younger sons of noble families who could not find a position would go off to be tug of war champions. <laughs> so Thomas like was reading the sign, and like Jimmy saw it and was like, "Oh, hey, let's do this." And then Brits- Branson comes up, and you know, he's like, "Oh yeah, I would do that." And just Edna just looms up. All like, right, I actually scream. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, what the hell? She's been applying to bronzer with a liberal hand. I know. Like, she where looks, is everybody anybody? Everybody else has the same skin colors they always have. She is, like, four tones darker. They painted me up like this. <laughs> and these aren't my eyes. They're false ones. <laughs> uh, seriously, Edna, die in a fire. Uh, I will pay $400 for a version of this episode with no Edna. Like, whether it's just shittily chopped up whether she's like airbrushed out in place of some sort of soothing bouquet i i would like to point out that that offer would really only apply if it applied retroactively and we'd never actually had to watch this Good point, version I, yeah Good. the damage has already been it, done it, it really has <laughs> yeah uh, anyway, Jimmy Kent mentions that he thinks the tug of war would be too rough for Thomas. But Thomas uh, actually very classily says he'll manage. He yeah. just, you know, he lets it roll off his back. Yeah. As everybody walks away from the sign, Edna really creepily takes Branson's arm. Like, she's yeah. being so forward. And Branson... And he's not doing anything to stop it. And I genuinely don't understand why. Well, I think, I mean, you know, basically what she's doing is... Branston will have to be, you know, essentially rude to her to get her to stop. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to be. He's, you know, in most circumstances, sending all the nonverbal signals that Branston is sending, like looking at her confusedly and drawing away from her and all this stuff, you know, any normal person would pick up on that. Not this one. Yeah. Boy, she could give Isabel a run for her money and then not picking (laughs) up on verbal or visual cues. Yeah. Daisy and Ivy... Who seem to be best friends now. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I'm glad that they get along now. Yeah. I guess they've both given up on their dreams of dating various members of the staff. Yeah. Which, which is, well, you know what? A year later, that seems pretty... That's pretty much how things go. Yeah. Uh, you know, they decided, you know, sisters before citrus. I don't know <laughs> what rhymes with sisters. Daisy notices the very creepy Edna holding on to Branson. Right. And she says, Mrs. Hughes won't like that. And then Ivy says, she doesn't care about the tug of war at all, but she wants to go play some games. Daisy says that all the games are fixed. And Ivy says, she doesn't think so. And Daisy (laughs) says, oh, they saw you coming then. (laughs) Which is great. Yeah. I just like that Daisy is the person that I always am at the amusement park. (laughs) Yeah. The only thing that was cool for me growing up was that I had a friend, my best friend growing up, Uh uh, her family ran a carnival business. So Uh they were carnies. Uh, (laughs) My best friend was a carny. (laughs) A lifetime original movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At any rate, they would go to the local amusement park and win everything because they knew exactly how all the games were rigged yeah yeah uh so that was cool that's no that's that is cool and uh, no i actually i really enjoy 
crotchety old Daisy. <laughs> I, I like also it. like her new hat. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Mr. T is at his stall, which from all the visual evidence we're given sells only crushed tomatoes. So <laughs> I assume that there are other things. Uh, he tells Mrs. Hughes and Patmore to drink their punch, and he will leave Lucy, his beautiful assistant, <laughs> there to look after the stall and wax her bum to prove it. Mrs. Hughes sees him do that. Mrs. Patmore apparently doesn't. She's like looking off into the distance and like laughing. Like yeah. it doesn't make any... I just feel like so many of these scenes, the director was like, fuck it. We literally just got these pages today. I, I yeah. do not care Mrs. what you Patmore do. Mrs. Patmore was like, so do I see him do that? And they were like, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Baron Fellows is coming. Quick. Uh, action. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. T tells Mrs. Patmore that she looks as if she stepped off the pages of Vogue. And she is so pleased by that. Yeah. It's really fun to watch. It is. Uh, he says he loves to be in love. And he's, you know, creepy is one word for it. But he's, I mean, he's not like he's Edna pretty creepy. Up fr- yeah, he's pretty up fr- I mean, I find his behavior with these younger women to be kind of creepy. Right. But I mean, as far as I can tell, it's part of his whole shtick to like drum up business for his shop. Yeah, he's a, he's a salesman. Yeah. Like, and it just is in every facet of his person. Right. I wouldn't want to hang out with the guy. But also, he's very unattractive. Right. Extremely. But you get his, you know, you get his deal. You can yeah. see what his, what his, shtick is yeah but mrs hughes is uh quite put out by his behavior yes some dudes do something with some bats there's like general that's uh morris dancing i believe oh well what is morris dancing it's just an old traditional folk dance that people in england do uh well they're doing that at the fair there's some (laughs) other i'm sure that those people were in fact a local morris dancing club that was like, hey, you want to be on Downton Abbey? And they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would have been really excited. <laughs> no, I know. I just chose to have them react that, that way. That was the reaction of Dan <laughs> Stevens to being on Downton Abbey. So there's other general fair crap going on. You know, right. people eating things, going on rides, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. The Downton team is finally up at the tug of war against the champions. And... uh they're they're talking a fair amount of smack yes. against them that, that you know anybody could beat the Downton team. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Kent asks for the odds and it's ten to one. So he puts another dollar. I'm sorry, yeah. another pound. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> so he puts a pound on their team and Alfred's like, "Hey, you know that's enough money. We're already going to get our asses kicked." Right. And then Jimmy's like, "Oh, hey, Mr. T, uh, you're a Downton supplier. Come join the team." So he comes over to join the team, but not before uh, egregiously flirting with some weird girls and, like, showing off his non-existent muscles. Right, right. And, like, I do love the reaction of most of these women. Like, it's come a long way since then, but, like, most of the time when women are getting sexually harassed by somebody like this, we Mm -hmm. just fucking go along with it. Yeah. Because it's honestly not worth even the time of, like, stopping it. Right. Or the possibility of getting raped if it goes wrong. We're just like, just uh, just fondle me and move on. Just go, go, go. Yeah. So anyway, he finally gets on on the back, you know, he's in the back position. You yeah. know, he's the sitting down guy. Uh, and uh, Mrs. Patmore has not seen him flirting with these people and uh, is like, you know, saying, go, Mr. Tuftum. And it's also adorable. It is. Yeah. And this, like, as throughout the scenes at the fair, Every time the scene ends with Mrs. Hughes crossing in the background and seeing it and being upset. Like, that just happens, like, three times. She's like a she's like a sexual harassment ghost. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, back in the Highlands, 
Gregson is standing in a river with Matthew, because this is what rich people do. Um, <laughs> uh, Are you a rich person? Do you stand around the middle of rivers? If so, we don't want to hear your story, because it sounds terribly dull. Yeah, we spend much of our time recapping your story. <laughs> um, uh, Matthew is fishing. Gregson is merely holding a pole. But he's explaining his situation to Matthew. We come in at the end as... He's asking Matthew what Matthew would have him do. And Matthew is basically like, uh, look, dude, I get what you're saying, but nobody is going to be okay with this. Like, that's just not going to happen. Uh, he says, perhaps you've been fooled by your surroundings, but we are not in a novel by Walter Scott. Back at the tug of war, everybody's cheering and the Downton team manages to win. The people who have rigged this game are pissed off. Here, here. They're very unhappy. Yeah. And I also don't understand why the judge, you know, who was clearly on the, you know, side of the champions, allowed this new person to be brought in without at least affecting the bets, you know? Yeah. Like that. Mm. Anyway. Uh, hooray for Downton. Uh, Gregson starts berating Matthew back at this river because he had thought that Matthew had a freer soul and Matthew's like, uh, yeah, whatever. That's not, he, I don't well, care. Well, he says he won't see Edith slip into a life of scandal without trying to stop her. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's admirable. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, uh, again, I can't, you know, like you say, even today, this would not go without notice. Exactly. So and I mean, and especially at this time. Right. You know, right. it would have been extremely difficult to mm-hmm. pull this off. Grace asks if he should just leave, and he says, no, come to the ball and use it to give Edith a proper goodbye. She deserves that much. Back at the fair, various couples are insinuating themselves, Mrs. Patmore and Mr. T on the carousel. Edna, like, almost falls off a horse or something and has to, like, grab onto Branson, and I'm just, like, so annoyed. I'm so clumsy. (laughs) I hate her. Uh, Yeah. Jimmy's buying drinks for everyone and is a delightful drunk. He's really fun. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he comes up to the game where Ivy and Daisy are. They've been debating because you can throw a ring around this block and win a gold sovereign. Right. But it uh, costs threepence. Costs threepence. And so Daisy says, oh, you know, it's a waste of money, blah, blah, blah. So Jimmy comes over and buys them each a turn, which is three rings yeah. apiece. The, uh, also, by the way, the shopkeeper sees him with his wad of paper currency uh-huh. and his eyes light up. Yeah. So I enjoyed that moment. So Jimmy buys a Michigo. Ivy tries and doesn't win, but Daisy hooks one on her very first ring toss. So she gets a gold sovereign. Yeah. And then walks away without trying. I'm like, hey, you could get three gold sovereigns. <laughs> uh, but it turns out the proprietor of the game, as soon as they're gone, the smile is wiped from his face and he yells at his, I'm assuming his son. Presumably, yeah. I learned from my carny friend <laughs> and her family. That's generally how it works. <laughs> yes. But he says that he was supposed to make the blocks bigger than the rings so that they couldn't go through. Yeah. Uh, so he's standing to lose a lot of gold sovereigns that particular <laughs> day. Uh, Alfred thanks Mrs. Hughes for not telling Carson about Couchgate. <laughs> Mrs. Hughes sees Clarkson and Isabel wandering around the fair. Uh, and is as mystified as the rest of us. <laughs> yes. Alfred tells Mrs. Hughes that he should be working with food. He loves food. Smelling it, touching it, being around it. He's a big fan of food. And she says, well, his time at Downton won't be wasted. He'll know how a great house runs. So, you know, being encouraging. Uh, and then she spies Mr. T, who is 
kissing some girls, but like really weirdly, really weirdly. It's yeah. I'm glad we're not any closer to that uh-huh. scene because it was upsetting. Isabel is talking to Doctor Clarkson. She says, "Oh, that was fun with the music and the the something." Oh, right. And I'm like, "What did you think happened at a fair?" <laughs> she had no idea. Are they uh, prostitutes? <laughs> Because I need some for my institute. <laughs> I'm changing the name to Prostitute Institute. <laughs> I keep running low. <laughs> uh, she said she's glad they came, and Dr. Clarkson says he's glad she came. Uh, uh-huh. Then she says, oh, let's go sit down. And he's like, oh, I'll go get us a drink. Uh, you go sit down. Well, I believe he says that he has a question to he, ask her. Yes, he does. He says he has a question, so she goes to sit down, and he goes off to get drinks. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mr. T has got a question for Mrs. Patmore. He's interested in marrying her, it would seem. He says that surely taking orders from a husband is better than taking them from some jumped-up lord or lady. She uh, says there's still orders. Yes, indeed. And he uh, he loves her cooking, and he knows that she's the cook for him and all this stuff. It's, it's uh, you know, a little odd. Yeah. I thought it was gross. Yeah. Jimmy has wandered off under a bridge for some reason. Ostensibly, I would say the reason would be to take a leak. But he doesn't seem yeah, it's in not... a leak-taking mood. He's just right. uh, wandered down there because it's expedient for Julian Fellows to have two toughs jump him, who I think were part of the tug-of-war right. crew. I, I had that thought just now. I was like, oh, it must have been them. Because yeah. I just assumed it was randos. Because like, who else would have cared? R- well, I mean, well, I guess he, had... he, he was flashing his money around. Yeah, he was. So whoever it was, they knew he was carrying so thomas comes down and intervenes jimmy runs off and thomas gets the living shit beat out of him as a reward yeah and no the toughs even ask him they say where do you think you're going i'm like really where do you think you're going yeah answer the question uh isabel spots clarkson uh well it, it's weird because basically the shot has the back of isabel's head and then dr clarkson has basically bought three glasses of punch chugs one down and then carries the other two over to her and i can't was the shot implying that he was doing it looked like he was doing that within her eyes yeah it looked like she was doing it directly in front of her so once again fairs affect people's vision it would seem (gasps) he is basically trying to propose to propose marriage to her but she fends him off, saying, oh, are you thinking of getting married again? Because then you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. Oh, she is so annoying. Only annoying people quote Gunga Din. <laughs> this is true. Uh, and she is saying that, you know, I, uh, with f- good friends like you, I don't feel, I'm happy with my life. I don't want to risk changing it, etc. So, suck on that, Clarkson. Uh, Jimmy runs up at this point, and grabs the doctor from this awkward situation to come and help Thomas. Uh, unfortunately, the doctor is now sauced. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you need? You need a doctor. <laughs> doctor! <laughs> I'd probably just kill you like you killed Sybil. That was so sad. I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Back at Dun Eagle, Shrimpy and Susan are standing at the bottom of a staircase. Along with the Dowager Countess. Along with the Dowager Countess, yes. And Rose comes down, shows off her dress, and Susan says she cannot wear that. It makes her look like a slut. 
And Which is a strong word. We've not heard that word since Pamuk Gate. <laughs> Indeed, we have not. And the Dowager Countess says, goodness, that's not a word you often hear among the Heather. <laughs> Rose insists that Princess Mary has a dress just like it, and it's in fashion. And Susan says, then it's a mad fashion. And things are getting tense. Uh the Dowager Countess is asked to rule, but she says that she wore a crinoline, a bustle, I believe, and a leg of mutton sleeves, so she is in no position to criticize fashion. I just enjoy that because it's like people who, you know, grew up in the 70s talking about bell bottoms. <laughs> right. And crocheted vests and stuff. Yeah. So when the Dowager Countess abstains, Shrimpy steps in and asks the Dowager Count, or asks Rose to take the Dowager Countess into the ballroom right now. And... By the way, I'm, you know, I'm sure it is the fashion, but there's like some side boob showing on that dress. Like that is, it's, it's a bit revealing. Would you say it was slutty? Uh, I guess I wouldn't, but that's because I wouldn't say that about any outfit. Oh, really. you're such a good feminist. Thanks. On the way into the ballroom, the Dowager Countess tells Rose that her first Gillies ball was at Balmoral in 1860. Uh, she hadn't been married long and was scandalized by how tight all the men were. Yes, Meaning, tight as ticks. Tight as ticks. They were hammered. <laughs> yes. That's Scotland <laughs> and for Rose you. is like, good story, Cousin Violet. <laughs> or Aunt Violet. Yeah. Aunt Violet? I know. I think she might. Cause she's, she's her great aunt. Right. Well, she's... Yeah, she's a great because she's Susan's aunt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, in any case. Susan tells Shrimpy not to blame her if Rose is the object of ridicule for that slut dress. He says that he won't. He is a fool to indulge her. They just basically get to snapping at each other as they always do. And he says, will you stop? Stop making everyone so unhappy all the time. And Lord Grantham comes down the stairs. It's quite awkward. He's like, I know where the ballroom is. I'm <laughs> going there. Yeah. I will say, you know what? Lord Grantham handles himself classily, generally speaking. I mean, speaking. honestly, the whole family does. Yeah. I don't know. Well, because if they are... They're supposed to have been going there every year, excepting during the war. Right. And excepting the previous year because of Sybil's death. Right. And I know this gets addressed a bit later, but, like, Lord Grantham is like, oh, has it always been this terrible? But I'm like, right. of course it hasn't. Like... Where, right. like, you haven't seen them behaving toward each other in this way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if it was before the war, like, if they haven't been since before the war. It's oh, I been... guess the war did just end. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. All right, then. They get a pass. <laughs> Under the bridge, Isabel is wondering uh, whether or not they can apprehend Thomas's assailants. Alfred thinks not. I don't even know why we're having this conversation. <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Hughes wants to know why Thomas got in a fight because it's not like him to get into fights, but he doesn't say anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But everybody, you know, bands together to help him get home. And I mean, he looks bad. I mean, he's been beaten really severely and they took all of his money. But yeah, he said he didn't have much on him. So, yeah. But, you know, it's it's something where he's like he's clearly he's talking with them and he's. Yeah. You know, it's not like. But it's horribly bad. But but it's it's still he's breathing heavy. He's covered in blood. Yeah. Like they actually and I have to compliment the makeup on mm -hmm. on this is it looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Carson is wandering a hallway. He's pretty much by himself at Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. but he's not entirely by himself because he hears Sibby starting <gasps> <Sibby>! to cry. <laughs> he goes in and he picks her up and, oh, it's so cute. No, he says, oh, hello, what's the matter? 
let's you and I have a little chat about it. Yeah. And it is so cute. It is great. Once again, Carson, why aren't you my dad? <laughs> At the Gillies Ball, the long vaunted Gillies Ball, <laughs> Matthew and Mary and Bates and Anna are all walking together. Bates says he can't dance and he has an ironclad alibi. And I'm like, you're uncomfortable. Uh, Matthew says he's literally ironclad. I know. (laughs) It's like on Downton Six Feet. Yeah. (laughs) He was going to do some poetry in the style of Gangnam. Uh, Matthew says he knows two of the reels. Uh, Mary basically says for all of them to go fuck off because she knows all of the dances and she is the best. Yeah. Uh, Matthew forbids her once again from dancing and then Bates asks Anna if she's dancing and she's all like, I have a secret. <laughs> I just had this really, like, Mary at the Gillies Ball at like age 14 did well at the dances and everybody complimented her and nobody at all complimented her but once like that and it was just the highlight of her childhood. Well, but then she kept like... Oh, sure. Like, I'm not saying she hasn't... Oh, yeah. You know, kept it up. I just, I just... I'm like, this is why you like it, because one time everybody mm-hmm. said how great you were at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mosley is dancing by himself like a weirdo. <laughs> because he is a weirdo. <laughs> he clearly is. Oh, Mosley, you came and you danced without asking. <laughs> <laughs> Susan calls O'Brien over and asks how she thinks Mac O'Brien did on her hair. Um, I'm sorry. I just can't believe we're calling this woman Mac <laughs> O'Brien. It's too much. Um, O'Brien says that it looks nice, but Susan is like, bitch, please. Uh, you know, she says, oh, we've been trying. And O'Brien was, you know, far be it for me to defend O'Brien at this point. <laughs> yeah. But she did a perfectly tactful job. This is true. Of not insulting either Mac O'Brien or Susan. Mm-hmm. You know, she was trying to be supportive. She was trying to help. This other maid is her friend, you yeah, know. They it's, seemed they seemed again, like Again, it's not her fault that Lady Flincher's hair has the consistency <laughs> of like the kind of batting that you use to make a pillow with. Yeah, or that she's a horrible person. I yeah. mean, neither of those is O'Brien's fault. Uh, anyway, O'Brien says she's going to go get a drink, but Mac O'Brien insists on fetching it for her so forcefully as to make it clear that this is a scam. O'Brien's like, come on, what do you think I do all day? She's like, who watches the Watchmen? <laughs> Me. That's who. <laughs> Rose, on the other hand, is downing punch like it's her job. She's like <laughs> sucking it down. Yeah. Somebody comes by with a tray. She puts her cup on the tray and grabs another one. I mean, she's like, I'm afraid Matthew says it's rather strong. And Rose says, I jolly well hope so. I just like that at the age of like 19 or 20 or whatever, right. she is clearly an alcoholic. And they can't do anything about no, it. they can't. Uh, how would your countess defense her? She says that Rose had a bumpy start to her evening. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it was, I, you know what though? Having your mother call you a slut. Yeah. Or making any kind of comments of that regard. Yeah. That's really hurtful. Uh, yeah. Uh, Especially in front of other relatives. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, won't say how I know that one. <laughs> mom, stop listening. Yeah. Seriously, mom. <laughs> if you're still listening, we're not talking anymore, ever. <laughs> Until you apologize for all those things you said. 
it's not gonna happen yeah i know so uh rose you know mcgee's trying to tell rose oh you know it's okay like your mom and you are gonna be fine rose is not really having it gets up and leaves the dowager countess says it's bad enough parenting a child when you like one another which is a very astute point yeah yeah i just really like how anti-parenting parenting (laughs) the dowager countess is yeah i like that because i don't actually want to raise miss mrs hughes (laughs) anakin schneider i want to just Ah, uh, but you haven't seen how cute she is. Oh, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> She's going to look just like Phyllis Logan, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if genetic engineering advances much farther. <laughs> we should be so lucky. <laughs> yes, I'd like to request uh, one Phyllis Logan baby, please. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we're fresh out. It's a popular model. <laughs> Oddly enough. We can give you the Penelope Wilton. <laughs> no, are you mad? It's half price. Mm, all right. <laughs> you win this time, genetics are us. <laughs> Wall gen. Yeah, gen mart. <laughs> <laughs> Build a baby. <laughs> <laughs> we should be so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mac O'Brien asks Neil for some whiskey. It is apparently not for her. It is for a guest from the South. I wonder who. Yes. She knew Neil would have whiskey on him because it is Scottish law. <laughs> <laughs> she loves his gilly water. Uh, yeah, she pours quite the healthy dollop. Yeah. And by healthy dollop, I mean his entire flask. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, and you also have to assume this is like homemade whiskey yeah was also the impression that i got yeah was yeah that, you know this was some some stiff stuff yeah mrs hughes comes into the library and crashes the cutest party ever <laughs> which consists of two people carson and sibby yeah he's just like i don't know he's just like showing her the library yeah it's super awesome it is awesome. Oh, it's yeah. so cute yeah uh she tells him that they have a few stories to tell from the fair <laughs> Uh, the stories don't really go anywhere or have much point, but we've got them. <laughs> By the way, Thomas is almost dead. Bye. <laughs> she asks where Nanny is, and uh, Carson says he doesn't know or care, basically. He's yeah. like, oh, she'll find us eventually. I'm like, I'm just seeing this, like, <laughs> Nanny, like, Sibby? Sibby? <laughs> yeah. Did you learn to walk? <laughs> Well, if that nanny was any good, she'd have a speaking part. Right? <laughs> uh, Carson says he was just thinking about Lady Sybil when she was Sibby's age. And Mrs. Hughes gets a bit sentimental and, you know, saying, oh, you know, all they can do for Sybil is, is, you know, cherish her bairn. Yeah. And he's like, what? What are you doing talking about feelings? And she's <laughs> like, well, you're cherishing that bairn. So let's go find nanny. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's dancing here at the Gilly Ball. Uh, yeah, nobody's actually wearing ghillie shoes. Those are the shoes that you wear if you've ever seen Irish step dancers. Uh-huh. The Scottish version is slightly different, but nobody's wearing those, and I was really disappointed. Oh. I wanted to see those shoes. Sorry. Uh, the Dowager Countess asked Lord Grantham where Shrimpy is. He says that he is hiding and licking his wounds, and that he will go find him in a bit. Mac O'Brien finally gives O'Brien her drink, uh, but since O'Brien wasn't born yesterday, yeah. she puts it down after one whiskey-filled sip. Yeah. It's like, how did you think that was going to work, Mac O'Brien? Like, first of all, look in a mirror. Oh, right. Second of all, 
like at least wait a couple minutes like you know wait till the next drink yeah anyway molesley on the other hand was born yesterday <laughs> so he sees her put it down picks it up drinks it in one gulp and he's like oh that went down like a treat I'm going for another because, as we've uh, seen in the past, Mosley is so good at holding his liquor. Oh, right, he's a, he's going to be disappointed with that next one. I know. <laughs> in the billiard room, Lord Grantham asks Shrimpy if things had always been this bad between him and Susan. He says, you know, it, it hadn't been. They were never madly in love, but they had a, a mission that they both believed in. But when the children left, they realized that they just had nothing in common. This suggested that Susan is perhaps so hard on Rose because she reminds Susan of Shrimpy at a different time. And I'm like, have you changed dramatically? Yeah, you know, <laughs> when he was a young ahead of his time flapper girl back in the 1870s. <laughs> Shrimpy, you're a fine person, but I don't know anyone less like Rose on Downton Abbey than you. Maybe well, Carson. he says, I, you know, you know, it's just like a backdoor thing to get pity because he's like, oh, you know, back when I had something to live for. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Lord Grantham is like, oh, look at this beautiful Dun Eagle. It's so great. And Shrimpy's like, ah, uh, yeah, we're selling it all. We, if we had been brave and modernized like you, then we would have had a chance, but we pissed all our money away, uh, which Lord Grantham just modernized a year ago. Like, I don't think you've pissed all your money away in the last 12 months. Like, I... I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying, you know, in the long term, Lord Grantham is right to modernize right. and they're wrong not to have. But it just, you know, it just struck me as slightly Well, but weird. if they haven't had much contact, I mean, you know, it could have just been that things got to a certain point this year. And he yeah. kind of saw the writing on the wall and was like, oh. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, the other thing is that Lord Grantham got a huge infusion of cash well sure which he wouldn't have had right well i mean i guess that's it's more that he only modernized after pissing away all the money twice well yeah <laughs> but anyway well you know only three times <laughs> yeah somebody please put a bullet in my head <laughs> uh in any case they they will be going to india and then to london and at london between the house of lords and his club you won't have to see that much of susan so is the House of Lords, I guess people, like, do the debates in the House of Lords just consist of people complaining about their wives? They're just slumber parties. <laughs> That's what it seems to be. That will keep him and Susan from killing each other. But what to do about Rose? Hmm. Hmm. I honestly have no idea where this is I going. I can't think. I know. Right. What? I mean, how do you solve a problem like Rose? She I mean, keep her in gin, for God's sake. <laughs> well, Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, she comes squalling into a different room and drags Anna out onto the dance floor uh, where Anna dances the reel that Rose taught her. And mm-hmm. she is just too adorable for words. It's true. She is so freaking cute. Well, because Mr. Bates sees her and it's really cute. And, and and Mary says, oh, my gosh, you know, Anna's dancing a reel. Yeah. And she actually seems impressed, which it's, for Mary. Yeah, no, it's For Mary true. to genuinely praise anyone. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it must be the it pregnancy hormone. It didn't seem to be passive-aggressive at all. No, it odd. seemed genuine. <laughs> it was very weird. Yeah. Mrs. Patmore brings T into Mrs. Hughes' parlor to tell her that uh, Mr. T has proposed to her. And Mrs. Hughes is sadly forced to tell her about all the things that Mr. T did right in front of Mrs. Patmore. He's a dirty slag. 
And a crafty slag. Apparently, yeah. But he's, he's, still, and she's like, flirting with girls when I was standing there cheering for her. And Mrs. Hughes is like, yes, it's Mrs. Padmore. It would seem that you've gone blind again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so sad. <laughs> it was. Um, too soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. So Mrs. Patmore starts to cry, but then no, she's happy because she was sick of that guy. But she was just excited about it. Yeah, like but she said that he said that he, you know he loved her and couldn't live without her. Which I know people move fast at this time. Right. But that seems exceptionally fast. Like it seemed weird to me that Doctor Clarkson was prepared. To propose marriage. I mean, and I realize it was a little bit more of a requirement, you know, like... Yeah. People really did feel the need to do that, I think, more than they do now. True. People are, you know, just more equipped to live single. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, but Mrs. Patmore was, like, super excited about it. And she said nobody had wanted to share her bus seat, let alone her home and hearth. And yeah. It's just weird. Yeah, no, this, I mean, for a plot line involving Mrs. Hughes and P- Mrs. Patmore, this was bad. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, like, it just, it didn't make sense. I don't, I don't understand Mrs. Patmore's thought process throughout this thing. It just didn't. I mean, I can understand kind of getting caught up in it. Well, I could, like, there's, there's very, like, it just doesn't make sense all as a whole. Okay. Like, there's all these little parts of it that make sense, but then they, they add up to something that doesn't make sense to me. And it, it, again, mainly comes down to this last turn at the end, where she's like, oh, I'm so, like... Like, is she just saying that to make Mrs. Hughes feel better? I don't think so, because that's, that's yeah. not the nature of their relationship. Right, exactly. They're pretty honest with one another, despite the fact that Mrs. Patmore always has to, like, have an excuse to talk to Mrs. Hughes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, just not not thrilled by that. Uh, Gregson is speaking to Edith and he explained, you know, that Matthew, uh, not a big fan of this whole living in sin plan. Right. And, you know, he says to Edith, you know, he, he was going to tell her right before he left because he wanted to make sure that they had a last night together. Uh, but she decides to be awesome. Yeah. And she's like, no, she's like, this is not our last evening. She was like, you know, yesterday, if you'd asked how I felt about you, I don't know what I would have said. She's like, I definitely know this is not our last evening. So she's, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a while before they actually do anything. Right. I mean, it would be really interesting. Well, because here's the thing. Downton Abbey, you know, despite what you might think based on this podcast alone, I mean, it's essentially (laughs) a family show. Right. Not entirely. Yeah. But mm, it's it's okay. Right, You know, it's on PBS. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the thing about, like... Although Let's I not guess get too. That's true because, like, they show like Anna Karenina and stuff. Right. Well, and also, I'm saying let's not oversell the scandal of this storyline to a modern sensibility because, again, it's not that he's just like separated from his wife. It's that it's only through a quirk of the league. Like, he would be that's divorced. That's true. Like, he's sort of like he's morally divorced uh-huh. in a sense. So, good point. You know, still just as scandalous to the society at the time, but as far as we're concerned, it's not so. Well done, Tom. Thank you. Mosley's hammered. So, you know, wacky as usual. Wackier. <laughs> I don't even know how you can tell. <laughs> um, and O'Brien says to Mac O'Brien, you know, are you happy with the work you did here? And tells her that thanks her because now she says that she will no longer feel any uh 
you know sense of loyalty any sense of loyalty so you know so much for o'brien's trademark loyalty and restraint (laughs) (laughs) uh and walks right over to susan to talk smack about mac o'brien in front of her basically so well trouble in paradise among the o'briens uh and lord grantham the dowager countess make fun of molesley i do like when they get to sit back and make fun of people i've (laughs) decided they're like statler and waldorf yeah no i did there was there was a shot at one point in the gillies ball that was kind of down the wall and you could see several of the Uh the the rich people sitting there watching and it was it was enjoyable yeah branson takes his shirt off hooray (laughs) edna barges in Boo. Yeah, so she bursts into his room, which I'm definitely certain that a female <laughs> maid is not supposed to be anywhere near his room. But uh, she comes in to tell him that Thomas is doing better because he super cares <laughs> right. about Thomas. <laughs> Branson tells her to leave, but then she decides to come in the door Right up to him right. to say that she had a lovely day, invites him to meet her for lunch the next day, kisses him, and then leaves. Doesn't get an answer on lunch. <laughs> right. Just is like, hey, lunch. We got, ah, you. We're going to get married. Like, what is her damage? And she walks out once again going, way to go, Edna. You are killing this. <laughs> he just looks shocked. Yeah. Uh, Mary is dancing with everyone else. She's part of one of the reels and it uh is looks fun i mean yeah, I, was, I wish there was a way that we could like recap this as it's as fun as watching it because yeah everybody actually seems to be enjoying themselves yeah well and i've 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 danced some reels in my time it's it's a fun time it looks fun yeah i'd dance a reel with you uh okay we just need you know 14 more people well <laughs> cousins <laughs> would you like to dance a reel if so we want to hear your story <laughs> However, the fun is curtailed as Mary does not feel well, and she she leaves the floor. Uh, she tells Matthew that she will go home the next day, but insists that he not come with her, because if he comes, then Mamar and Papar will feel obliged to come as well, and will break up the whole party. Plus, Mosley needs time to recover, because he's drunk! Oh. <laughs> he's so drunk! Oh, Mosley. Carson comes into the servants' hall uh, the next morning and tells everyone that Mary and Anna will be returning. Mrs. Hughes tells Edna to air out their beds, and she says she can't. Yeah, well, she was. She says something like, "Do I have to?" And they're both like, "What? <laughs> Has someone stopped your wages?" <laughs> she says that she's going to meet Tom Branson for lunch in the village. Two things here, okay? Oh. Two things. Yes. Number one. If you're going to do this, at least freaking lie about it. (laughs) Secondly, Tom Branson? Yeah. What? I just, I don't understand it. Like. Thirdly, he didn't say yes. No. He's (laughs) not, he's not going to be there. You're going to show up. And And it's just going to be Isis there with a note. (laughs) (laughs) Then she's going to rip her feet apart. (laughs) So she can never sneak up on Branson again. (laughs) Carson and Mrs. Hughes are shocked, and then they go out in the hall to confer, and she's just like, listen, I know you're going to blame him, but this really is not his fault. Yeah. And he's like, whatever. Don't care about that. 
that bitch gotta go. Mrs. Hughes is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She most certainly does. Confirming what we've all known from the first time we saw her, that and she needed to be fired. Mrs. Hughes says that she will handle explaining the situation to Branson. Mm-hmm. As Carson was says that he would just be rude and that wouldn't help anyone. Which a nice nice self awareness there. I know, Carson. but it was also I thought it was a dig at her as well. No. Well, could be. Uh McGee is having breakfast in bed up at Dun Eagle, and Susan comes in, uh, and they talk about Mary and babies and childhood. Well basically uh she's saying that she's Susan is saying that she's no longer as judgmental about Mary as she was back mm-hmm. in the Pamuk days and that Rose has proved quite an education. Uh she finds herself worrying about Rose before she opens her eyes in the morning. McGee's like you should get a droopy eye like mine. <laughs> You'll find it much less worrisome. Yeah. But in fact they arrange that Rose will stay at Downton at when the I did not see this coming. <laughs> Who could have? I don't think anyone. This is as, I mean, she really is the, uh, what's her name? Raven Simone <laughs> of this show now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's so Rose. <laughs> it is. And again, uh, actually like this scene. Kind of nice seeing them just the way they interacted and, you know, just as mothers. Mm-hmm. And McG, you know, McG was just very sympathetic towards Susan's position, mm-hmm. you know, even though she could see the way Susan's was in, Susan was in the wrong, but she had like a, you know. Yeah, McGee doesn't have a lot to do in this episode, mm-hmm. but I think that that it's okay. Like, yeah. Elizabeth McGovern knocks whatever it is that she has to do out of the park in this one. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Oh, and uh, Susan asks McGee to please speak well of her to Rose, not every day, but sometimes. Which is kind of heartbreaking. It is, kind of, yeah. And that's, no, and that's where you gotta hand it to the, the actor playing Susan. She. Who does, um, just, yeah. again, her and Shrimpy and the girl playing Rose are all yeah. just really good. Yep. Mrs. Hughes explains to Branson, uh, why Edna has to be let go. And, you know, he tells her that he wasn't encouraging her. And she says, yeah, but you weren't discouraging her either. And he's like, you don't understand. She had my mind trapped in some sort of freeze beam. (laughs) (laughs) Isis tried to warn me. (laughs) For some reason, he insists that he gives her a decent reference. And I'm like, like, what is Downton Abbey coming to these days? She was like, well, I'd already written her a reference calling her the dirtiest whore in Yorkshire, but I suppose well, I... now that Ethel's gone. <laughs> right. I suppose I could rewrite it. Uh, anyway, she agrees, and then she asks if she can speak to him as she would have in the old days. Yes. Uh, and she says that he shouldn't be ashamed of his new life, and that Sybil would be really <laughs> proud of him. Yeah. And then he just breaks down and he's like, I can't bear to be without her. Yeah. And Mrs. Hughes is all like helping him. (laughs) And she says he's just got to bear it. And someday he'll be lucky enough to find somebody else to bear it with him. And why doesn't Mrs. Hughes live with us and make us hot (laughs) chocolate sometimes and make us feel better when we're sad? I honestly don't know, (laughs) Kyle. It won't be the same with Miss Mrs. Hughes Schneider again because she'll be a baby. So. I know. She won't have wisdom. <laughs> she'll, she'll be just, no help at all. She'll just poop on everything. <laughs> Maybe I don't like this Miss Mrs. Hughes Anakin Schneider plan so much as I thought I did. What a shame. <laughs> 
Thanks, Tom. <laughs> I'm glad you're so supportive. <laughs> Back at the rustic English train station of Ribbon, uh, Mary steps off the train, gets a strange look on her face, and says that she should perhaps go to the hospital immediately. She has a nice reaction shot here, as, mm-hmm. as you know, because she's saying that to the chauffeur. But then when Anna's next to her, like kind of taking her to where the car is, Mary just kind of looks at Anna and like you just see, because I think in a certain extent, Mary has been in denial. Yeah. Yeah. Like big, 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 big time. Like yeah. she even let herself think about the possibility mm-hmm. of a ha- civil situation. Yeah. Then or, she yeah. would have just lost her damn mind. Yeah. She also, by the way, any scenes where her, uh, you know, baby bump is not actually visible, she doesn't look the slightest bit pregnant. No, the, For somebody who's she, supposed to be eight months she in. She looked very pregnant and kind of puffy in the first scene. Mm-hmm. Still gorgeous. Yeah. But then, like, every other scene, it's like, oh, this old thing? <laughs> I can take it off anytime I want. <laughs> Princess Mary has one just like it. It's the fashion. <laughs> Ugh. Dumb Matthew <laughs> is still trying to shoot a dumb stag when a messenger rides. The messenger rides out to tell him about Mary. Right. And like the stags here and run away. And he's like, Aah. and I'm like, dude, you know that your wife just left and she's eight months pregnant. How would this never like occur to you? You know who's really mad though is Neil. Yeah. He's like, first Mac O'Brien steals my flask. <laughs> now this fucker's having a baby. <laughs> Lord Grantham pops up behind a bush. Oh, I do love your gilly speak. (laughs) (gasps) Then Neil shoots him. (laughs) He's like a clean shot right through the eye. It's like, what was the point of this? You could bring her some fresh venison if you would just let me handle this. Carson tells the servants downstairs that the whole family is going to be returning the next day. Uh, it is because Lady Mary's in the hospital, but she is not in danger, according to Carson, who doesn't necessarily know. Edna stands in the hallway with a surprising amount of luggage. <laughs> yeah. And Mrs. Hughes asks if she's gotten everything. And then Edna starts blabbing how she's done nothing wrong and she's just as good as Mr. Branson and she's done nothing wrong. And like, first of all, you're not as good as Mr. Branson because he's of this world and has a soul. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here, Uh, here. Mrs. Hughes tells her that there are rules to the way of life in being a servant. And, you know, if she can't follow them, it may not be the right life for her. And Mrs. Hughes, again, handling a situation with kindness and grace where Carson would have just been really mean. Yeah. Although somebody was commenting to me the other day that, you know, back in the Ethel days, boy, you know, it was just it was a different situation back then. It's true. It was. But, you know, she's kicking Edna out. Yeah, thank God. She wouldn't have given her a reference if Branson hadn't made her. I swear to God, she better not ever come back. She won't. Poochie's dead! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Back at Eagle, Lord Grantham tells McGee that they have tickets for the first train in the morning. And he tells... McGee that he's so glad that he let everyone kind of overrule him and save Downton. His conversation has, with Shrimpy has opened his eyes. Uh, he's thankful for Matthew now, and he's thankful for Downton. He is thankful for McGee. And it's really sweet and nice. It's one of the nicest scenes that they've had since, you know, the whole Sybil debacle mm-hmm. went down. 
And, you know, they just seem very happy. I mean, and I think that she's had a very similar experience. Mm -hmm. And that they're like, whoa, we thought our lives were hard. We could be in this hellscape. Yeah. No, and he just starts just, like, complimenting her directly without being weird about it. And her face lights up. Mm -hmm. She's, I mean, it's it's really nice. Well, she's always been in love with him. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's just a jerk sometimes. Yes. Out front, Shrimpy and Susan are saying goodbye to everyone, and they say that they'll make arrangements to send Rose to Downton uh, once they know what's going on India-wise, mm-hmm. and, you know, Dan Stevens-wise. <laughs> uh, Shrimpy is walking McGee to the car and explaining that he wants Rose to learn that families can be loving. And he says that he thinks that loving is something like learning music or French. You have to learn it when you're young, or else you can't ever learn it. Mm-hmm. And McGee's like, well said. But it was also very sad. Like, yeah. it just made me very sad. And, you know, and I know that this is hardly the first family, but just for so many centuries, right. love was so not a part of human survival, despite how important it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to get all mushy and stuff. Yeah. Like, I know I just said we're getting a divorce, but now I'm <laughs> thinking, I'm thinking maybe we should give it a shot. Yay! You know, people of our sort can't uh, <laughs> can't ever throw in the towel. I'm delighted. Uh, Edith asks Matthew what he told Mary about Gregson. He says he hasn't told her anything, but uh, says Edith. He's, I, I believe he says something about uh, you know what must come next. Mm-hmm. And Edith says yes and smiles. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, we shack up in London, start up a hip new nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> My Edith's got a secret. <laughs> His name's Michael Gregson. <laughs> yes, I know. I've met him. Rose says goodbye to everyone and uh in a quite quite the good mood now that she knows she's going to be set free from the hellhole of her existence <laughs> at some point. Uh and everybody leaves the Highlands. So so long, stink town. <laughs> Anna's leaving. And she tells Carson she's going to the hospital. She thinks she has everything that Mary needs. And uh, she's kind of... Carson is, again, yeah. in total dad mode, has, like, no idea what to do. <laughs> right. She says, you know, the doctor says Mary's fine. Uh, and not to worry, Carson says he can't help worrying because of Sybil. And it gets him kind of back. And she's like, okay, listen, you need to get the cars to the station. You know, Mr. Matthew will drive to the hospital. Everybody else should come back here. Mm-hmm. And Carson's like, okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, at the hospital, uh, Isabel is there. I guess she's going to be helping out, chipping in. Oh, I can't think of anything worse than my mother-in-law helping me give birth. Uh, yeah. And Dr. Clarkson, who's there to actually do it, he comes in and is like, uh, excuse me, before I deliver this baby, I'd like to talk about the relationship that we never had. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he says he, he thanks her for preventing him from making a fool of himself. And she's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, well, I think you do, but thank you. And that's the end of that. So nothing's changed. Glad par glad. par for the Crawley House course. <laughs> yeah, glad we went through all that. Mary tells Isabel that she wishes Matthew was there, and she starts, you know, blaming herself for going to Scotland and and beating herself up. And Isabel's like, "This is going to be fine. The baby is not super early; it's just a little bit early. We'll take a little extra care, but this is all going to be fine." You know, is as, as a nurse, Isabel is fine. Mm-hmm. Back at Downton, Jimmy Kent is up in the servants' quarters, and he goes to see Thomas. Hey, remember that? Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) That happened. Uh, Thomas is still pretty bruised and bloody. Uh, He's reading a newspaper in his bed. And uh, Jimmy Kent says he's there to make sure there wasn't too much harm done. 
And Jimmy Kent says that Thomas was very brave and that he feels bad about what happened. Mm-hmm. He feels bad that he ran off. And Thomas says he was right to run off. Otherwise, what was he bloody doing it for? Which <laughs> yeah. is a great line. Yeah. Jimmy Kent uh, then comes to his real purpose, I think, which was to find out if Thomas had followed him down there. Yeah. And Thomas says yes. You know, he had seen that he had too much to drink and, you know, he saw him go off. And, you know, Jimmy was like, why, you know, why did you care? And Thomas was like, you know why. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy Kent then grabs a chair and just sits down to tell Thomas, you know, I can never give you what you want. Right. Um, He's like Troy McClure. (laughs) Kay, I wish. (laughs) What I have is a sexual abnormality. (laughs) No, because seriously, when he came in, I was like, are you going to be gay finally, Jimmy Kent? Be gay. Be the erotic pen pal. (laughs) What you've been doing on all these days off? I know. (laughs) Uh, but no, sadly, that is not what happens. Yeah. What happens is Thomas says, you know, he understands. He doesn't want Jimmy to go against what Jimmy wants. Right. But he does want them to be friends. Oh, this <laughs> cannot possibly go wrong. Absolutely not. Has anyone who has ever tried this out can affirm? Oh, yeah. Great idea. Have you ever tried this and not had it work out? <laughs> yeah. If so, shut up. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Jimmy reads in the newspaper and that's all fine. That's great. Yep. All it settled. only took a year. <laughs> Carson's on the phone saying yes and yes and thank you. Thank you very much. He is excited. He runs in and he tells Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore that Mary and the baby are both fine, tired, but everything everything went great. And they say, what about the baby? And he says, what about the baby? And they say, a boy or a girl? And he didn't think to ask. <laughs> and Mrs. Patmore actually says, men. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> right. It's mainly just Carson. Yeah, it like, is. You can bet damn sure that Lord Grantham asked what uh-huh. sex it was. He was like, I don't care if Mary's alive. <laughs> he wouldn't say that. <laughs> Listen, first, what sex is the baby? Second, is Isis still all right? Third, <laughs> how's Mary? <laughs> <laughs> I know she's been worried. <laughs> In the hospital, Anna and Mary are gazing lovingly at the baby when Matthew comes in to look at his son and heir. Uh, look. From here on out in this episode. We're done. Yeah. This is the end of the episode <laughs> right. as far as we're concerned. Yes. Because after this point, you know, Dan Stevens, his dialogue is so purple in this scene, I cannot even recap it. Yeah. Like, it's- you know, they've done their duty and they saved Downton. And like, his acting is so terrible. Yeah, well, again, uh. although, Dan, I mean, he's been, you know, as, spoiler alert, everybody, we're saying farewell to the Dan Stevens era here, and he's he's mostly been, he's had some really good moments, or I mean, I wouldn't say he's had some really good moments, but he's been quite good, he's had, certainly had chemistry with Mary mm-hmm. much of the time, he's rarely been terrible, but he's just kind of been there, just... Yeah, he's phoning it in. Yeah. Uh, anyway, in this scene, they have all this, like, loving crap. Right. Which really, if you're going to kill him anyway, it would have been more effective not to. Although at the same time, like, yeah. you just had a baby. I guess this is... I guess when we have Miss Mrs. Hughes, <laughs> Anna yeah. Ken Schneider, new name pending. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> maybe then we'll feel differently. Well, I mean, and I... You know, I think... 
I think that the dialogue is just not good. No. I mean, I think. That's well, what he it says is. Mary's going to be a wonderful mother, which is wrong. <laughs> oh, right. He Mary tells doesn't her, even believe. No, it. he tells her she's going to be a wonderful mother because she's a wonderful woman, which is not true. And you know, he's like, "Oh, you know, mine's the true Mary," and we're like, "No, your Mary is not the true Mary. <laughs> that's why we like Mary." <laughs> right. She tells him that he's being foreign (laughs) with his, you know, she's really on her way to being the Dowager Countess in this episode. She is. This episode in particular, and you know, as a fan of old school Bitch Mary, I've enjoyed it immensely. Mm -hmm. But I mean, she really got back to basics of being a smug, self-righteous bitch. Yeah. (laughs) She, yeah, yeah. Anyway, my wrists were tired of typing (laughs) at this point. But back at the Abbey... Uh, everybody's gathering to go see the baby and they're saying ridiculously optimistic things. Well, well, our problems are all solved forever. While Matthew is driving in his dumb convertible, (laughs) not paying any attention to the road whatsoever, off screen he runs into a truck and dies. Yeah. And nobody knows. And we feel nothing. No. This is the worst use of dramatic irony ever. Yeah. Just want to point out, not a single tear was shed in oh, the no. shan- shenanigan household no, 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 no. about the not death of, of Matthew. It was I shockingly mean, poorly handled. No. And, you know, we'll get all into all of this more in our more in-depth analysis, but I don't have a much better plan for how you suddenly write Matthew out of the show. No. Like, I don't have a well, great— Well, that's what—there's a great— uh blog on the new york times arts beat blog mm-hmm. uh which i think i linked to or somebody did on the facebook I page think at so. least and i think that julian fellows did a good job of explaining mm-hmm. sort of his situation because right. he was like i can't you know if if one of the servants wants to leave you know right. they get yeah. a different job but mm-hmm. he's like oh yeah this guy who's the heir to this estate with this son just doesn't come around anymore right and, you know, a lot of people are mad at Julian Fellows. And while I agree he could have done a much better job yeah. with this and Many dozens other of other things, yeah. when I was following the casting or, you know, the contract renewals right, right. for this next season, you know, he held out the long, you know, he just wouldn't commit. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I, I think he's dumb. Right. I think he's stupid. Because... You know, what I've read is that he's, like, friends with Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm -hmm. So I can only assume that Benedict Cumberbatch is playing a colossal prank on him. (laughs) Right. Well, because Benedict Cumberbatch is weird-looking enough that he can play a villain. You know, he can become a British villain. But Dan Stevens is neither a strong enough actor or remarkable-looking one way or the other that he can have a successful film career in America. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't strike me as a, a, a movie actor. No. Which is... I can you know, see I, him in theater. I can see him on television. But yeah. I mean, to be a movie actor, it's a bit of a different it is. thing. There's nothing – like I say, he's not somebody that I've – he hasn't been terrible. He's been a perfectly competent totally actor. He hasn't been totally offensive. I've liked he's, him a lot less this season. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I don't know. And it's hard to judge because, you know, you kind of know. I mean, we both knew that he had to die. Right. right. I knew the manner of his death Mm -hmm. because some jerk spoiled me. Yeah, yeah. They always do. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I had forgotten about it until literally I saw him driving. I was like, oh, he's about to get hit by a truck. See, because when Mary was like, oh, I'm going to go and you stay here, I thought he was going to get shot, Mm. uh, you know, when he was out stalking, which I think would have been more interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... Oh, hey. Well, you know, it's like when rich people die going skiing and stuff. Okay, here's new thinking, right? 
So Edna thinks that only Branson is there in the family. Matthew has come back with Mary. Edna sees the blonde back of his head and shoots him, thinking that it's Branson. Ah! That would be great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then Edna has a trial, jail, and executions montage that lasts for 30 seconds. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's the end. That's the end. We're, We're done... There's no more New Downton for months. No, for a really long time. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, and. I don't even know how to process it properly right right now. I can't believe how startled I am to realize that. But, uh, yeah, here we are, people. So we'll get into a bit more in-depth analysis about sort of the implications of this particular plot point. Right. Uh, for series four right we have a lot of opinions we have many opinions yes uh which we'll be happy to share however this is already clocking in at close to three hours yeah this is a long podcast (laughs) so we're gonna cut to the abby awards and we'll be back in two weeks with a fresh eye Mm -hmm. to be discussing various things yes uh so first up best evasion uh yeah i think that will be o'brien she evaded that whiskey quite niftily yeah she really did yeah i wish i could evade whiskey that well well, it helps when you're – here's a tip. Always stand next to the comic relief. That way anyone that tries to pull a prank on you, it'll get sucked away by his – Good advice. Yeah. Uh, best overbite. A bit of a dark horse here. Goes to Neil. Oh. Uh, With he's, his voice from centuries past. Yeah. I don't know. But he's – you know, he really had a stick up his ass about, you know, Scotland. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a different angle for us. But yeah. uh, we're going to stand by it. That was a hell of an overbite, Neil. <laughs> Way to go. Worst decision? Uh, Dan Stevens. Yep. Clearly. Uh, Runner-up, Julian Fellows. Yeah. So they're going to, you know, not quite share the ignominy <laughs> right. in this episode. But uh, it was yeah. bad shit all around. Yeah. And Julian Fellows has many bad decisions in his future. Dan Stevens, I fear, does not. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, Gibson Girls slash Guy Award. He could play the adult baby Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> How true. horrible would that be? <laughs> oh my god, it would be like Degrassi the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it would be so terrible. Yes. And amazing. Yeah. Make this happen, world. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, the Gibson Girls slash Guy Award. Uh, and that will go to Rose, the stylish flapper with the slutty dress. <laughs> Don't forget the side boob. Oh. That was what decided it for me. Oh, I, uh, Anybody daring enough to show side boob gets the Gibson girl. I wasn't complaining. Next up, we have the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion, a.k.a. the backy. <laughs> uh, hands down. Susan. Oh, yeah. Lady Flincher. <laughs> what the shit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you've given up on life. Right. But don't give up on your seamstress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, we have a special one-time-only Abby Award for this episode. It is the Cutest Baby Award, and it goes to Sibby. Sibby! Woo! Uh, the reason this is just a one-time award, uh, right. we know there's another baby next season, but we have no wish to pit baby against baby. Yeah. I mean, technically, there was another baby in this episode, but that was just like a one-shot cameo. You couldn't so. even see that baby. Yeah. 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 We don't want to cause the cute apocalypse. Right. We're not, we're not monsters. We're not pitting babies against each other in a competition. Although that would be so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Move aside, puppy bowl. <laughs> 
Uh, and finally, the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smiths. Yes. Uh, despite this being the finale, we're just going to go with four Maggie Smiths here. Yeah. She did well. She did she very did fine. well. But she, uh, wasn't, uh, she wasn't in the midst of the action the way she normally is. Right. The one thing was just the Rose's dress situation. Yes. Like, that was great. Invoking the crinoline. Yes. The leg of mutton sleeve. The bustle. Right. Uh, so that was great. But otherwise, she was pretty much in the background. Um, so fine but work. Solid Doing four. really great stuff when yeah. she was around, but yes. not quite five. Yeah. So she'll have to come back, uh, you know, guns a-blazing <laughs> in the next series. If she wants what I know she do- so desperately desires. <laughs> it keeps her up at night. She's like, all the awards in all the world. <laughs> They're not enough for me until I get five Maggie Smiths. No, you know what? She doesn't care. She's never watched the show. Right, I know. She genuinely doesn't give a shit. <laughs> No, she's never watched the show because she listens to our podcast. She doesn't need to. (laughs) And on that note, I think that about does it. On that delusional note. For Downton Abbey, Episode 9, Journey to the Highlands. (laughs) What a wild, less fatal ride it's been (laughs) than for some people on this show. Yes. Uh, But until next time, up up yours yours downstairs, downstairs, luncheon out.